Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Ramsey Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode The Puzzling and the Promising, which could very well be a soap opera, but in this case it's because I think everything we're talking about this episode kind of falls into like two buckets. There's things that are promising and exciting, like uh, Nicholas announcing a bunch of interesting new Switch tiles, Nintendo building E3 hype. They just can't stop. They just, they literally cannot. Their, their announcement of a crossover game was... No, not that crossover. This other crossover. They said that in the tweet. It's like they have so many. Anyway, yeah, they're gonna have. We have that talk about. We have Nintendo building up their E3 hype talk about, um, as well as some of their mobile plans. But there's also really puzzling things to talk about. Weird things like why Switch Online is so bare bones at twenty dollars, or why like Capcom's like, hey, you know that Monster Hunter game you want on Switch a year ago before Worlds came out, back when it was the latest and greatest. Well, we waited till there was something significantly better, and now we're giving you the one that isn't as good. Like, it's just strange decisions all around. So we're going to talk about all that, plus some other news, plus I have impressions of a cluster truck on Switch, and you, Angel, I believe, want to talk about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, right? Now sure, I mean, Switch. it just came out. Might as well just yeah, circle back to it. Yeah, revisit some thoughts on it. So yeah, we'll we talk about all that. There'll be timestamps available at RamTown.com for any specific topic you want to hear. Otherwise, I mean... Really, we've got to start with the one story that had every Switch owner talking. The finalized, or certainly closer to finalized, plans for the Nintendo Switch Online service. And, I don't know, to me, this was by far the best example of the puzzling in our episode title, because it really is, it really is kind of strange what they're doing. Like, on the one hand, for only 20 bucks, you're getting a lot, but at the same time, it feels like it's too expensive for what you're getting. It's funny, it's less than half the price of, of PlayStation Plus. Mm-hmm. Yet it feels like I'm not getting less than half of what PlayStation Plus offers. It feels like I'm getting nothing. So let, let's real quick <laughs> walk through what you actually get for twenty dollars. The so-called nothing, as you put it, because like so not, maybe not everyone's up to speed. So for what you get for twenty bucks, it and includes, to be fair, I mean, yeah. obviously, like there are some, I don't know, some personal taste stuff. I mean, oh, to, totally. some, to some people, twenty NES games might be a lot. Right. To me, and maybe Jason, it's. Well, honestly, that's the most interesting thing. So, I mean, for 20 bucks, what you're getting is um, you keep playing Switch games online, Mario Kart, Arms, Platoon, whatever. Which, at this point, almost feels like we knew it was coming. It feels but, like they're pulling the yeah, rug out but, a little. Yeah, but it's yeah. been so long that it's like, oh, that's yeah. why we were going to pay for this. We knew this before the Switch came out. Yep. But <laughs> it feels backwards now. It does. But, yeah, so we're getting that. We're getting the ability to finally, finally... Uh, create cloud-based backups of our save files, which is a feature that, like, in the Wii U days, when my Wii U bricked itself, like, in 2013 or something, I would love to have. Now I'm just like, sure. <laughs> we get uh, special offers and deals on the eShop, of which we know nothing about. And then we get what you already mentioned, which is the classic game selection, as they previously called it. But they're now awkwardly renaming it to Nintendo Entertainment System dash Nintendo Switch Online. Like, really, just call it Nestflix and be done with it. Like, like that's such a bad name. Classic Game Selection is even a better name. But, like, I guess Nestflix would require, where it imply that you have to play the games with an internet connection active. Virtual which Console you don't. also would have been a nice name if they hadn't already used that for... Yeah, exactly, if they know. didn't already use it as a totally different thing. But, but I, yeah, I... One, <laughs> virtual Console X. Virtual Console... See, and if they did something like Virtual Console Online, which would be true, it, yeah. again, implies the games have to be played with an active internet connection, which they don't. You don't need. Of you Hulu, can play them offline. Just call it Woohoo, Woohoo Island. It could be well, a Wii Sports. Yeah, Mario. I mean, that's what he says. That's true, Wii and Island. it's a whole island in Wii Sports Resort, yeah. <laughs> and later Mario Kart. Uh, but anyway, at launch in September, so yeah, we get these twenty NES games, right? And they're adding online support for both single and multiplayer games. And the list 
is going to grow past 20 post-launch, but what they've said so far are 10 games, which I will now read to you in a rapid-fire succession. They are Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Balloon Fight, Ice Climber, Dr. Mario, Zelda 1, Mario 3, Tennis, and Soccer. And to be honest, I know you're saying like neither of us particularly care about the games, and that's true. I don't particularly care about these games. I have the games I want to have, but the coolest part of this whole Switch Online thing they revealed, at least in my mind, is that they aren't just supporting normal multiplayer online. They're doing a pass-to-controller mode online. Like, that's actually kind of neat. So you can watch a friend play on your Switch while they're on their Switch. You can voice chat with them and using the app, which we'll get to, don't worry. And then literally on the fly, you can just switch who's playing the game as if you pass the controller to them. So I could be watching you, then you press a button, then you're watching me or whatever. Just like on the PS4. Oh, that's the thing PS4 does? Yeah. Well, that takes all the fun out of this. It's, it's, it's been able, <laughs> I thought that was some cool little no, Nintendo it's been thing. Able like, to do that. It's been able to do that for Elvis. I mean, for Elvis. Forever. I used that Elvis because... Um, well, it's been able to do that for Elvis because <laughs> he had PS4 for three years. So. No, yeah. Um, I saw him use the feature in a pretty cool way because um, one of our friends had a Tales game for PS4 that we didn't have that we wanted to just get a, a handle on. So our friend played it and he would just let us play while he basically let his PS4 run in the background while he did something else and we just played it for a little while. <laughs> That's fine. That it's sounds like, like, it's like a legitimate piracy. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we were doing a demo, we're obviously not going to play a 80-hour game. But in you could, setting. or unless they tap it out at like 20. We're like, wait a minute. That other guy hasn't touched the controller in six days. Yeah, <laughs> it also worked with like Mortal Kombat. Right. Fun I had no idea they did that. I was like, this is a really cool thing Nintendo's doing. Because like, from Nintendo's perspective, I remember, it um, makes so much I remember sense. when um, PlayStation first built this feature, it was like, oh, is there a part of a game that's really hard for little Timmy? Well, maybe you could pass the controller to your little friend, Timmy. Big Timmy, and he could play it for little Timmy. We haven't – little Timmy has not gotten a shout-out on this show in quite a while. We haven't had a reason to talk about the younger gamer of, that is little Timmy. Yeah, so maybe little Timmy's older brother is out abroad, and he's like, big bro – you happen to be abroad, and you happen to have bought another PS4 while you're and over And have there. a great internet connection wherever you are in Southeast Asia currently. So now you can do it on Switch. I mean, which is cool. I mean, at least that's a feature that you won't feel like, oh, at least the PS4 can do this. Well, the Switch can too on NES on games. On NES games, 10 of which we know, 20 because, of which will be available. Yeah, because launch. the PS4 could literally do it on any game. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing, though, that I actually think is very smart about Nintendo doing this, regardless of the fact that I guess it's not an original idea, is that, man, my tweet about this seems dumb now because I'm like, it's so brilliant. Now I know why it's... No one cared. I said that because it's not brilliant. It's copycat. Anyway, um, what is kind of smart is so this actually differentiates Switch Online's NES library from, say, like the classic edition NES or something like that. Like you have either you buy this little console that has way more games and they're all like built in and you have the retro experience or you play it on your Switch but you get all the features. That's way more games for now. Well, yeah, for now. Yeah. But still, it's it's a good way to fork them, I guess. But – even in describing all this... Did they mention it all? If you can, like, download... Wait, these games are downloaded on... They say the they can be played they're... offline. I don't know what that means in terms of download or DRM or anything like that. Yeah, I was wondering but... if they're being streamed or... No, they're know. not being streamed. If you can play them offline, they're definitely safe. Or that, like the DRM. I would guess there's authentication, and it probably checks in once a month or something. Hmm. And it just sees if you're... Or, you know, it's actually, you know what? It's probably identical to how the Nintendo account system works. As long as the account's on your system... And, oh, no, that doesn't work because the account doesn't have to check home to see if it's still, like, active. So, yeah, they'd probably have to do some sort of check. But Yeah, because these are attached to the, the service. Yeah, so, to yeah. the service, which you'll be able to buy right off the eShop, in stores, whatever. It's no different than the free games you get from PlayStation Plus. It's exactly the same as what they yeah. do, what Xbox does with their Xbox Yeah, games. the gold the gold games mm-hmm. or whatever, platinum. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that is different that Intel's doing, which I sort of 
pause that when I was saying you can voice chat while doing uh, the NES games is voice chat because guess what problem number one is with the final Switch online plan there is voice chat but yeah it's going to require that stupid smartphone oh when you app. said Nintendo did something different you didn't necessarily mean a good thing no oh. it, it kind of sounded like you were setting it up to be nope, like, nope, like no. one thing that Nintendo is actually doing different actually different and good I definitely it's a good yeah I know I sort of was like but you know what they're doing different guys you know what banner feature they have separate app for voice chat <laughs> It's yeah, I uh, I mean perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. Like obviously Nintendo is going to have the app still play a role because they've been I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed. But I'm only disappointed because I expected to be surprised. Follow? <laughs> like I mean, I mean, obviously they had the beta app for Splatoon two since last summer, so clearly yeah, they, they thought have heard there the was going to be feedback. Yeah, but but nonetheless, like they didn't shut down the app. They didn't announce they're doing a change. They just kind of let it linger. So I figured, okay, the app on the phone will live on. I don't know why I'm grabbing my phone while saying this. You know what a phone looks like, I assume. This angel is a phone, and I, for some reason, felt the need to visualize this. But anyway. Well, I'm um, picturing a smartphone. I mean, when someone... When you're right, it's not a rotary phone, yeah. Sometimes when people say phone, I immediately think, um, not so much a, yeah, like a rotary phone or an old school phone, but I just think the handle, you know, the, the icon. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the cordless phone. Phone. I guess cord Or corded. Yeah. Either way. Those don't run in the Switch app. <laughs> Only a smartphone does. But no, the the thing is, like, I kind of was hoping, yeah, that app will live on, but maybe, maybe they could do on-device as well. And based on what Nintendo's revealed thus far, that simply is not happening. It could probably come down the pipe at some point, which is what we said during the beta about this. But now we're at this point, and it's still not there. So I don't know. I mean, as of right now, the Switch Online value proposition is what we outlined. So there's online play, there's cloud backups, and there's a smattering of NES games you can play offline or with a friend online, and it costs you $20 a year, 4 bucks a month if you prefer. And the question becomes, how are you feeling about this overall? Like, you sort of, at the top, we're saying that, like, it feels like it, you're not getting anything. So I'm guessing you're not feeling good about it. But, like, what, mm. what was your, like, gut? When you saw this go live on their website randomly at, like, 6 p.m. on Monday, what was your... How are you feeling? Like, <laughs> well, it was basically, like, uh, I have to pay 20 bucks a year to play Smash Brothers online. <laughs> That's pretty. There much is it. no other value add for you, huh? Do you care about the no. backup thing? Because every other system, no. Because I mean, the PS4 Pro has a terabyte, and it, what else? It also had cloud backups, but I mean, well, you know what PS4 does and Xbox does that Switch doesn't is you can do local backups if you plug in a hard drive or put in. Yeah, always does that too. Like he always has a hard drive, just right? So could have so like what? So Nintendo's essentially even though they're <laughs> offering cloud backups, finally, they're essentially paywalling them. You can't yeah. back up your data ever. Unless you do that. Unless you do that. Because even if you do it on the Switch itself, you can have it on the SD card or on the system, but not on both. I mean... It, I guess it, you take the SD card, copy it on your computer, and then go... I mean, it's not the wisest mentality, but yeah. I, I kind of live life on the edge in the sense that I don't really worry about backing up too. a console. I yeah. do, too. Yeah, like I, like, I even had a console brick on me, and I still do it. Yeah, basically, like, I'm just kind of thinking, like, my console, I don't see why it would ever brick, so I just don't worry about it, because I'm yeah. not going to try to hack it or anything. Yeah, same. And... I feel like because I bought such a huge SD card, I never need to really put some stuff on the cloud just to make room for it. I guess it's only useful if you know someone else with a Switch and you want to, like, log in on theirs and pick up where you left off. But I don't know any scenario where either of us would need to do that. On top of the fact that the Switch is almost the same, so you never have to do that because it's so light and you can take it That's with true. you anywhere. You know, honestly, I think, for, for me at least, I think a major part of the problem with this whole Switch Online situation is Nintendo kind of screwed themselves out of making a attractive value proposition like from the start they messed up like for the past 18 months 
as a Switch owner, as you were sort of saying before, like, we have it's the It's been 18 months already? Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be 18 months. Sorry. You're right. It will In have September, been 18 months? When you look back, it'll be just maybe 15. March to March plus 9 minus 3, 6. 16 months. Wow. No, 18. 12 plus 6. 18. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? But, like, you, you were sort of starting to say this before, but for the past 18... At that point in future world, for the past 18 months of, as a Switch owner, there's this privilege of online play for free, and it's bare bones. You know, there's no messaging. There's no voice chat in most games. Lobbies are barely there, but get the job done. And and I guess you could communicate in-game through pre-written stuff, depending on the game. So there was, like, ways to get through things, and it worked. It wasn't great, but it worked. It worked the same all the way through Nintendo starting doing online on DS up through now. So we're, like, kind of comfortable with it. We kind of know what it does. We know to call each other if we all play online, like, on a normal phone. And now Nintendo's basically saying... Discord or... Yeah, or Discord or or whatever. And now Nintendo's basically saying, and this is where the value proposition thing gets weird to me, they're basically saying, hey, here's the exact same thing you just did for free since Switch launched, but we want $20 for it. And to justify those $20, we're going to give you voice chat, but only if you have a separate device, like you would normally do for free if you called them. And you, to be honest... Our games you don't really need voice chat for. Like, sure, okay, yeah, Splatoon, Splatoon's I get it. the only one you can really but, justify it for. Yeah, but have, we have played Mario Karts for generations now with no voice chat. Smash, no voice chat. ARMS, I punched you. You sure did. Like, what, what's the voice chat going to do? Like, it's, ni- it's a nice to have, for sure, as is the ability to back up games. But, like, it doesn't really feel like much. And then the NES Classic thing to me... It feels like a third go-round of Nintendo's favorite habit of we're throwing you a bone of giving you old NES games because we need to give a value add. Like, remember the ambassador? I really hope they don't do, like, another, like, drip feeder. We're going to get NES games for, like, about, like, four or five and months. And then just drop them and, off. And then eventually Super Nintendo yeah. for, like, another six, seven months. And then eventually 64. That's and then, for sure what they're going to do. And then they're just going to stop there. And then the next console's going to come out and they're going to start over. And we're going to be like, sure what they're, they're going to do. They're going to GameCube. And then they're like, oh, well, because we can't run GameCube. How, blah, blah, blah. how else do they keep your subscription active besides having online games? Uh-huh. But no, do you remember what well, the point I'm trying to make is do you remember um, the Ambassador games on the 3DS where they dropped the price of 3DS like 50, 60 bucks, some crazy amount? And they're like, oh, 80. I think it was 80. And they're just like, Oh, all you early adopters, we're sorry. Here's a bunch of free NES games and Game Boy games to kind of make it up to you. Then on Wii U, they did it again, where they're like, uh, our games are delayed. We know you have nothing to play. We're sorry. We're going to release 30 cent limited time only virtual console NES games for you guys. And that whole, like, well, the early adopters of the black Wii U, didn't they get, like, a digital deluxe digital promotion mm-hmm. or something like that? 10% off any eShop purchase, yeah. And you'll get, like, a bunch of points, and yep. they accumulated fast. Yep, and, and they sort of did a sort of halfway step of that with the current My Nintendo Nintendo account rewards, but, it's like, the value's way lower. Yeah. But my point is, like, every time Nintendo's like, oh, we don't have enough to justify you doing a thing that we want you to do, be it supporting Wii U still, getting a 3DS at the early price, buying their online program, there's, like, here's a bunch of NES games. So, like, it doesn't really, like, it does add value on some level, but it also is just, like... So I'm paying for exactly what I had before, cloud saves, and a third round of pity and yes games. It just, I don't know. It just comes off as a little... It, it, that's even with the passive controller idea. It's still kind of like... You've done this before. This is your go-to move. So I don't know. And I, th- I think what makes matters worse is for us diehards, we know free online was a limited thing. Like, yeah, we maybe forgot, like you were saying, but we knew. Always in the small print it was there. But we, we knew it was in the small print. A casual Switch owner doesn't read that small print. I've had multiple people I know who have Switches basically come to me and be like, 
So Nintendo's charging Jason, me. Jason, fix it. Yeah, no, they're like, so well, let me understand. So you know what you're talking about. You're the Nintendo nerd. Is Nintendo charging me for the thing I did for free, but now it's not free? Are they just like pulling the rug out? And the answer is uh, no. They actually have been saying since before the Switch came out that they were going to eventually pull the rug out. So you should have known. But how would you have known if you were just a casual dude that hopped on the Switch bandwagon and didn't really read the very small text on the bomb of every game box? Like, it's... I don't want to say they should have been charging since day one, because that's, that's dumb. There's nothing to charge for. But, like, from a PR perspective, they probably should have been charging since day one. Yeah, it's, it would suck for us and, and the owners, but at least no one would be surprised that the thing they got to do for free is no longer free. Yeah, this would have been like, wow, 20 bucks just to play online, like, I guess. I mean, new system, expensive. new generation, I guess that's what they're doing. Okay, the, fair are, They promise they're going to add stuff, so like, oh, we get any games now? I guess that's cool. It would have yeah. been like a okay bonus, because they yeah. we would have had nothing, and then we would suddenly would have had sort of something. Which is what's so funny about this whole online thing is it's all the framing. It's all the context they build into it because, like, I'm coming from Nintendo does stuff for free. Now they're stacking barely anything on it. It still feels like it's not worth it. And then you, like you said at the start, when you're talking about comparing it to PlayStation Plus, you're coming looking at – I'm used to paying $50 a year. This is $20, so half less than half the price, less than half the stuff. Is it still a value at that point? So, like, it's – the same service, because but we're even, coming at it from such different still, angles. Because we're not, we're still not even getting what I would consider the bare right. minimum. Right. That's that's kind of my point, though. Is like no one's happy with what Nintendo's doing, no matter how you look at this thing contextually. The current way Nintendo implemented they implemented, it, they put influx, themselves in a bad spot. Like honestly, like if they had anything close to um, what PlayStation and Plus or Xbox is doing with those free games, even if they're not like that new yeah they have such an influx of games coming out that we can't keep up with them if they give us like one free game a month that would honestly be like really really nice and even if it's like a game that's not really selling just to like maybe give it some interest then rotate it out next month and more than could spread it maybe it's else could go up I don't know. and that's partly i think why in large part um switch online still feels like a poor value to you coming from something like psn or playstation plus or whatever they're called because um psn PlayStation Plus specifically gives you what four games a month, five games a month, um, three games a month. I think three. So they give you three games know. a month, right? And you pay fifty dollars a year, or yeah. is it sixty now? It's either forty nine or fifty nine. Either know. way, you make back that entire money in the free games within about two months. Let's yeah. say the games all were twenty bucks at that. It point. easily feels worth it, right? I mean, so and then Nintendo's like, we used to make you pay thirty cents for these. I mean, they, they are. If I had the PS four um, last month. Like a month earlier, yeah, I could have gotten on Ratchet and Clank the mm-hmm. remake, the remaster for free, which that's not I, an old game, which is a game I actually wanted. I was very interested in, but I mean, it's a full, it was a full, it was a full price game, fifty nine ninety nine. Right. I mean, imagine getting that for free. I right. Mean, but instead, it's not even the good NES game, soccer, <laughs> tennis. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, in theory, you can actually get it to a much lower price if you go the family plan route. Like, I feel like we should mention this is kind of a workaround. $35 a year gets you up to eight Nintendo accounts on multiple systems. You don't even have to be on the same system, and you can, uh, you know, you just pay one flat 35 bucks. So if you do the math, if you get seven other people, we're talking $4.38 per year per person. That feels like a steal. It's funny because, like, that five bucks for cloud saves, that's basically Pokemon Bank. You pay a couple bucks for Pokemon Bank, all it is is a cloud save. Yeah. But you also get 20 NES games that wrote, that with new ones coming regularly and full voice chat and games you didn't have before. Well, that sounds good, but $20 for that a year does not sound good. So it's all yeah. it's all framing, it's all context. But but like th- this, as of now, this is Switch Online as we know it. Like this is what Nintendo thinks will justify 20 bucks a year. That's kind of puzzling. 
Uh, I I mean, obviously, when Switch has Smash and Pokemon, right, maybe and their Animal president Crossing. is talking to them right now and telling them like, "Oh, you guys are crazy." Wait, who? Who? Maybe their president will the new guy. Yeah. No, he's on board with this. He's part of the upper management. He's not like he's some outsider. For a car, I didn't just like walk in off the street and go, <laughs> I have great ideas for you guys. Just hear me out and start pitching. <laughs> stop what you're doing. I won't stop. He's been groomed for two years, according to Kimishima, and he's been there like stat man even longer than that. He's He used to work at Nintendo's European branch in Germany for like eight years. He's very Nintendo. So I don't think he's going to be like, no, 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 no. Groomed? He's very groomed. And he still has those bangs? Yeah, he yeah he he has the uh, Iwata GameCube days bangs, yeah. Huh. But but yeah, what I was starting to say is like Switch Online couldn't theory get better. Like maybe they'll roll out cool new stuff with Pokemon, with Animal Crossing, with with Smash, with whatever games get announced that use online in interesting ways. It's kind of, I guess that justifies the price. But you know, people people you know they don't even need to roll anything out. You could just cave if you want to play Pokemon. If you want to play Animal Crossing, you're getting the online. You're gonna pay twenty bucks. That's just gonna be what it is. But for now, it's just very boring. That said, of course I'm gonna subscribe. Who am I kidding? I'm I'm gonna have this thing day one basically. So Nintendo, I guess Nintendo won. I we spent twenty minutes ranting about this, and then it ended with me going, "Yeah, I'm still paying the twenty bucks." So debating. Yeah, are you actually gonna do it? Um, I and mean, what about Smash? You know what? I could, if I really want to, I guess I could get my fix from tournaments. There are enough tournaments being run weekly that I could easily get my play against random people fix like that. So is this more but this is more in principle that you don't want to pay the 20 bucks right? Because in the grand scheme of things 20, 20 isn't that a year isn't that much. Much. One less thing to worry about. That's true. Well it would auto renew. You would never have to worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you just click it click it and done. But uh You yeah, know what? I, it comes down to what online offering Smash four has if there is no if they, if they still don't have ranked matchmaking then i probably will not get it because that's the only that's the only reason i would want to play smash brothers online right and there's another game right now that has an enticing online option for yeah you. i already kind of i already got my fill of mario karts online at this point i'm just going to play locally i am already done with splatoon i haven't even played any of the ninja turtle um split splatfest so right yeah, like, it really comes down to Smash Brothers. If they don't have ranked online matchmaking, then... Oh, though, for sure. I mean, we'll get to it a little later. We're going to talk about Smash, but no, I they, mean, they are angling this thing as an eSport game more than... I really hope so, but... I mean, I don't want to get my hopes up. Dude, Nintendo's sponsoring more eSport events in the last... Their tw- every week, their Twitter tweets... They retweet a new, like, Hey, we're some random eSport tournament in Nebraska, and guess what? Nintendo's now officially sponsoring I us. I mean, like, sponsoring is not the same as doing, like... A Capcom Cup. No, but sponsoring means they're I mean, where I guess, the I scene mean, is there. So they're not going to take away features I mean, that were in Smash for Wii, like ranked. No. Or do you mean like a full tournament mode online? Yeah, like, no, yeah. I, oh, I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that, that I. Yeah, sponsoring is one thing, but they're not hosting their own, like, the way Pokemon does with yeah. their Pokemon tournament. And... Except the Invitational. Yeah, 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 but that doesn't really count. That's true. Yeah. That's a so, PR thing, yeah. Yeah. But, well, I guess. Time... I mean, ARMS kind of had that a little tiny bit, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess we'll find out soon enough, huh? But it's interesting that you're on the fence about Switch Online. I mean, it's funny because like you're on the fence about Switch Online. There are people who are. I mean, like, I'm already paying fifty or sixty bucks for PlayStation Online. I don't need to be paying eighty bucks. But just think, for, but just think, if you're only paying fifty, thinking you're paying sixty, you're only paying ten <laughs> for Switch Online. Am, am I wrong? I was saying, uh, 
That's, look that's up the price. a Jersey Mike sandwich a year. I think you can pull it off. Are you checking the price right now? Yeah, I'm going to look right. in the... Well, what I was going to say, I'll, I'll start segueing us, I guess, while you say that is, or while you look that up, is um, you're, like, I was starting to say that people on the fence like you, you know, have to decide, but <laughs> Nintendo sort of added salt to the wound by confirming that Virtual Console as a brand is now dead, essentially. Like, for, for whatever reason, there were some fans who seemed to believe that when Switch Online was going to get mapped out like we just saw this past week. Oh, so smack in the middle. Oh, so 50. 50 yeah, 498 would be the tax, so yeah. 50. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so $15 for Switch Online and your <laughs> made-up thing of $80 total, which is still, you know, the price of cluster truck, as we'll talk about later. So it's like, do you all pay a cluster truck a year? For, for your somewhat useful online. Well, maybe after hearing your no impressions, I'll know whether I want to or not. We're doing a lot of, like, later in the show. It's like, right, stay tuned after this commercial break. But, uh, no, what I was starting to say is virtual console's dead. Right. Like, salt, adding salt to the wound here is a lot of people, for whatever reason, have started thinking that when Switch Online would get mapped out, as it did, as I was just saying, um, we're also going to get real details on what virtual console will be as a proper service, which is odd because... Virtual Console in the official sense, or in the traditional sense, was never officially part of Switch Online. They always said it was classic game selection. They never said Virtual Console. They were always separate entities. And now Nintendo's confirmed to Kotaku that there is no unified classic game initiative called Virtual Console anymore. And people seem surprisingly upset about this. I'm not sure why. Like, maybe I'm just being, like, I don't know, callous about it, but, like, the signs are kind of always there. Hamster had the arcade archive games for over a year now. I mean, now. the signs are there, but, I mean, people still just want to buy whatever game they want out of the cart and just but, have it. Yeah, but, but they still about... sort of can. Like, the arcade archives are literally that, just under different brands. Sega Ages, when it comes yeah, out, that's all the Genesis games. archives are just the arcade ports. Like, I mean, am I going to be able to just buy Donkey Kong Country for Super Nintendo? Do you Nintendo? need to just buy the 5th, 7th, 12th copy of Donkey Kong Country for Super Nintendo? Sometimes you do, yeah. Do Do you? Do, I mean, do, do, you have a, do you are you do you wake up in a cold sweat needing to buy a thirteenth copy of Donkey if Kong they, Country? If they release Donkey Kong Country two for the Switch, it well, I mean, they're not anymore because it's not a virtual console. Then yeah, I would have bought it again. Interesting, because I think I just feel like from a. I'm not saying I miss the service, but I mean, if it's there, I'm mostly going to use it. I think we are. Ju- I think we just hit this tipping point where like Nintendo and other publishers just kind of realized that these different individual approaches are better for them. Maybe they're not better for us per se, but like, you know, Nintendo and Sega and now SNK all have their mini consoles that they can make a collectible and have a whole frenzy around. You know, the number of copies of Donkey Kong Country that was in the the, uh, SNES Classic, significantly higher sale number probably than if they just threw it on the virtual console. Like, they can build, like, a brand around that more. And, like, I mean, you know, that's why Sega and SNK are now doing it. Like, SNK just announced a mini Neo Geo arcade cabinet with a built-in screen and 40 games. So, it, I, it, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but it seems like all these companies just feel like they can do better. Like, Sega Ages, you know, Sega's branding is now front and center. I mean, I'm it's saying not... it's better. I'm saying what's better for the company. Obviously, that's better for the company. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, but in some ways, it, in some ways, it's better for us. Because I was going to say from a company perspective, like, you know, obviously, Rystar, now on Virtual Console, doesn't have the same pizzazz and the same branding push as Sega Ages Rystar would. But, like, even for us, all the compilations we're getting are a much better deal. I mean, Mega Man Collection, Mega Man X Collection, Mega Man Normal Collection, that you get so much more for 
so much less money. And then Capcom has the perk of, oh, hey, there's Mega Man brand recognition and exposure in stores, in ads, on shopping websites, new release lists. You know, instead of it just being like, ho-hum, here it is on the eShop. So it's, I don't know, like it just seems like, especially in this era of remakes that are constantly happening, you know, like it started, like if you look on Nintendo Systems, 3D Classics on the 3DS. They never put Genesis games on the 3DS, even though they were on the Wii eShop, or the Wii eShop, because they could just do 3D Classics or like slightly adapted for that system. So would you rather have Donkey Kong Country 2 as is for free, or would you rather hypothetically have maybe a widescreenified version that perhaps cleans up the graphics a bit and makes them like pseudo 3D HD. I mean, they were pseudo 3D, but like cleans up the edges a bit. Some people that are purists would say they'd rather have normal Donkey Kong, but Nintendo's going to get a lot more mileage out of some sort of remake, remaster, whatever. Like, it's what Square Enix does. You know, they they had Chrono Trigger or whatever on the Super Super Nintendo, and then they put that on the virtual console exactly as is. Eight bucks, nine bucks. Or... Stick it on the i uh, the iPhone App Store, fifteen bucks remastered, quote unquote, with like quasi HD graphics, and that got a lot more attention and probably generated a lot more sales. And it's still the same game, so I get what you mean, but like I I don't know. I feel like this opens the door for Nintendo to HDify some GameCube games, give us like Mario Sunshine or Pikmin Two, some at a higher price, have a higher profit, and we get the benefit of a cleaned up version of the game. People that want the purest form might be upset, but they're still there in the purest form. You just go to your older systems. I mean, you just put your Wii U away, right? You used to have it under your TV. Your yeah. gamepad's still there, oddly, but the console's <laughs> gone. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you could have just left the Wii U somewhere and had and played Virtual Console in there. Like, it's not... I understand there's limited space, but, like, it's not like these things self-destruct. It's not like they're gone forever. I already beat the game they had on there. They had no reason right. So, no, but I mean, like, just if you really want to play Donkey Kong Country 2. Oh, I have that on my 3DS, so. There you go. But, yeah, so you, there are workarounds where you don't necessarily need to download it again. So, like, sure, Virtual Console is a centralized the concept. Only there because over. the Kangle is so... Oh, the cord or, The cord is so organized using the, the wire organizers behind the TV that... I'm right now too lazy to unravel them. Fair. I thought you just couldn't bear to put it away. No. Wanted on it. <laughs> like no way. But uh yeah, no, it um my point is like, yeah, virtual console is a central thing's dead, sure, but I think we still have access to all the games we need. Like of all the puzzling things in Switch Online's rollout announcement, I feel like virtual console missing was like the given. I don't I don't know. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. Maybe I'm weird. But yeah, I don't know. I will. Yeah. I will say though. Um, I keep saying how things are puzzling. Puzzling doesn't necessarily mean bad. In in, in the instances we've been using it up till now, it's been like not ideal. But also, like puzzling can be good. Switch online could turn out good, even though it's confusing now. Who knows? Or more of the point. This is a long way to go for a segue, but I'm doing it. More of the point. How about that switch charging stand they announced the other day? Smooth, <laughs> um, but no, you know, you know, what I'm talking about they. Yeah, that they finally announced. Yeah, that's what's puzzling to me. It's good they're doing it, but why did it take them 14 months? Why didn't it come out with the switch? Right, because here, here's the thing: since day one, the sole flaw of the switch's design was how tabletop mode worked. Everyone knew that you had a flimsy kickstand. It could actually pop off if you're not careful, even though it's also intentional. Um, and you hold the whole system's weight on like a third of the system on one side. 
And then if you wanted to charge it because you're on hour six of milking cows in one two switch, you couldn't because it was on the the bottom, which is blocked by the physical system, which is resting on its bottom because that's how it stands up. So like, how did it take them fourteen months to go? You know, if we charge twenty dollars, we can sell a little piece of plastic that the cord just runs through. But here we are. It's coming in July. It will charge the switch. Not just for perfect play in tabletop mode, but also so you can hold it in a more sturdy, comfortable angle. So no matter how you're playing, it can face you. And so I'm sorry, it's not going to like, um, This stand will literally not work without something plugged in. Like you can't charge, pre-charge the stand, like its own battery. From my understanding, there's no battery. You just run the cord through it and it has kind of an adjustable angle to face. So it's only useful at home or nope. near an outlet. Near an outlet, yes. But see, like it makes sense, say... I mean, I guess at an airport that could be... Or on an airplane, almost every plane has outlets in the seats now. Whoa. I, I, mean, I like thought you were going to do a hoity-toity thing, but then you realize <laughs> I said every plane. <laughs> Maybe no. not Spirit yet or Frontier. Yeah, only about like half the there. planes I've been to this last year have had outlets. Uh, well, they're working on it. They're working on it. Um, Spirit's about to get Wi-Fi across their whole fleet. Spirit, really? the Greyhound of the Sky is about to get Wi-Fi. Really? Greyhound on the ground has Wi-Fi on the buses. funny. When you said Spirit, I thought Virgin. Oh, Virgin's dead. They're now Alaska Air. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Do they tell. got swallowed up. That's it. They got merged in. All your Elevate points became uh, Alaskan Eskimo points. I don't know what they call their program. So they're fancy, schmancy, like, website. No, they're keeping all that. Or Well, no, that got rolled over, and but the super, planes, mood lying and stuff is staying. And that super overproduced video where the show Yeah, the dancing's to... done. You know what I'm talking about, Now right? it's just Eskimo kisses, the whole video. I don't know. I'm being, like, super weirdly Alaskanist, but... Um, also, welcome everyone to Random Airplane Chat. I'm your pilot, Jason, and that's my first did, Captain Angel. I did kind of enjoy that video the first time. Yeah, but on, it gets on the old way to Ve- the 20th. yeah, on the way to Vegas, it's, yeah. it kind of hypes you up. It, on the way back, it's like on the way back, you're hungover and you're just like, no, stop, <laughs> it, stop singing. It's kind of a sad reminder that you're going back to reality. Yeah, right. Because nothing says reality like people dancing around some airplane seats in the middle of an empty hangar with no plane attached. Real, real reality right there, but um, yeah, I mean, it's the the charging stand to me makes a lot of sense, even if it doesn't have a battery. Because like I don't know, there's very rare, very rarely are there instances where I use tabletop mode. I don't know how true that is for you. Like I think I used it for snipper clips back when my switch dock didn't work when I first got the switch and the dock was just dead out of the box. But for some people, like if they travel a lot, like we we're saying on airplanes or whatever, this seems like a great product for them I to used buy. It a few times during when I was at Comic Con. Um, our friend Nigel and I would um, we would use tabletop mode to play Mario Kart in between. That's true. Actually, I was on a business trip with um, like in between matches and, of a tournament. And we played Mario Kart in the hotel room with the kickstand, so it is useful. But I, mean, at the, I mean, at that point, it had full battery, so there was no need to charge it. Yeah, but, but it's not just charging; you can also angle it any angle. So if you want to lean back more, you don't have to like accommodate to its angle. It accommodates yeah. to yours. But I mean, the angle was <laughs> is fine enough. Yeah, as I agree. it was. I'm really pushing this like an infomercial. I don't know why. I feel like I'm like on QVC or Home Shopping Network. Is it because you get work. commission? Do I? Because if so, I'm not seeing any of that money. You get one. Where are you like the parent that takes all the child actors' money without them knowing? Or am I getting commission, but you're taking the money? Until you're 30. Until I'm 30. Yeah. So soon ish. That's when you become an adult. Oh, that's news to me. A real adult. A real adult. Uh, mentally become an adult out of your crazy 20s. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Like it's, it seems silly that it took them this long, but it's great that they did. I will say this seems to be the star of a wave of new accessories. Do you remember in the Wii days 
when actually speaking of QVC, when they used to like have those bundles on QVC and it was like, get the Wii bundle with the plastic bowling ball. You put the Wii remote into it, and then you roll the Wii remote and it's like you're bowling or you put it in the tennis racket and you swing. It's like you're playing tennis or the golf club or the fishing rod or da 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 da. The only one I've experienced was the tennis racket. The bowling ball I did see, but... That one was stupid. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring it up is guess what else is being announced for Switch? Tennis rackets for the Joy-Cons. It's happening again. We're be- we have gone full circle back to the Wii days. That's how Nintendo's doing well when all the weird companies are coming out of the woodwork with accessories that do absolutely nothing and no one wants. But yet somehow sell. So, but kids. anyway, anyway, that's that's you know, it's about immersion. I don't think a plastic tennis racket that's about a eighth of the real size of a tennis racket is going to make you feel me. like you're really playing Mario Tennis. Not not unless Waluigi's standing there right next to me in real life. Actually, I don't ever want to see a real life Waluigi. That his proportions are very odd, and it would be somewhat disturbing. But anyway, um. Yes, that that's you know that's the other puzzling thing Nintendo did, but it's a good puzzling thing, and it's not the only good thing that came out in Nintendo these past couple weeks either, because they continue to be excellent at building hype. They are very good at building hype. I mean, part of it honestly is the fan base. Like GameStop just the other day, sixteen new untitled Switch SKUs, which are individual Switch games, popped up in their system on like Thursday. Hype train basically peeled out of the station all by itself. Like, it didn't need Nintendo to do anything. People just start freaking out. Like, oh my god, is there be 16 first-party announcements? No, probably not. It's probably a mix. But nonetheless, like, fans will get hyped. But then Nintendo, they know how to press all the right buttons, and they have been pressing them these past few weeks. The most direct tease is some sort of big Splatoon thing on June 9th, apparently. Um, that's the Saturday before the World Championship, the Saturday before E3. And all they're saying is the news will, quote, Shock the world. Wow, now, quite the now here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a little backstory. Pretty here. bold. It's very bold. Here's the backstory. This was supposedly reported in Japan's uh, Weekly Jump magazine, which is a video game magazine. So I was like, oh my god, it's game related. But then Nintendo Spain came out and denied that the magazine published any such thing. They didn't deny they have a Splatoon announcement. They denied that there's an article from Weekly Jump saying there was going to be Splatoon news that would shock the world. Which is true. It turns out the magazine was actually Korokoro in Japan, which is an anime and manga-oriented magazine. So Shocking the World may just be a Splatoon anime movie. Who knows? But Nintendo in their most... Or just a Splatoon anime because it's had a manga running. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, po- the point... Shock the World? I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know about Shock the World, but the point is Nintendo rarely comments on rumors, but they're like, well, considering this report isn't even a real report, we're going to tell you it's not a real They've report. they created real inklings using genetic modifications. That would shock the world. Yeah. I would. And do you think when the inkling woke up, they're like, you're a squid now, and then they turned into a kid, and they're like, you're a kid now? And that's like, what? Maybe. I think so. I like to think so. That's what that's what helps me sleep easy, is knowing that. But, uh, no, it, it's weird, because Nintendo never comments on rumors, but they felt the need to be like, well, this rumor isn't even from a real article. There's no article, so we're just going to tell you there's no article. But they were very peculiar by saying there's no article in that magazine. It is very much when they denied there being a 3DS, a, like a jumbo-sized 3DS, which became the 3DS XL. But they did on a stipulation of, we have nothing to announce about, like, I can't remember how they worded it. A, they worded it in such a way that they were basically like, oh, you got the name of it wrong. But they made it sound like you got, the whole thing didn't exist. Pokemon? No, 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 the 3DS XL. Pokemon. Oh. No, 3DS XL. It, it was around the time of Pokemon, but it was a 3DS XL. They, some Japanese paper was like, I think it was Nikkei, was just like, hey, we, um, we've heard there's going to be a larger 3DS. It's going to be called blah, blah, blah. And Nintendo's like, no, it's not. 
oh, it was the XL name. They're like, we heard it'll be called the 3DS XL when it launches in Japan. And Nintendo's like, nope, that's not happening. And then a week later, they're like, introducing the 3DS LL instead of XL. Oh. That's how they got around it. So Nintendo's probably, there's still big Splatoon news is my point. And at first brush, uh, I feel like it'd be like, oh, it's just the Octo expansion release date, which I am sticking to July 13th as obviously being the day because that's when the Amiibo come out for it. But but that's not world shocking levels of shockingness or anything at all. So it's got to be bigger than that, right? Like it can't be a new collaboration in the mm, game. It's a new Amiibo. <laughs> Imagine. But it, it can't be like a new collaboration because <laughs> we already got Ninja Turtles. In Japan, they just started Hello Kitty with real life Splatoon Hello Kitty clothing as well. It's like there's no reason for that to shock the world. They're already doing that. And like, come on, what what's bigger than Hello Kitty in Japan? Nothing. So Godzilla, maybe, but uh, physically, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I guess we could go back to the idea that's an anime. That could be it, and that would fit with Koro Koro. But what if like I'll admit this is I really guess it reaching. Could be an anime airing on I don't know Disney on TV. Well, it's also probably Japan oriented announcement because yeah, it came from Japan. But then they could announce it in America during E3, and yes, it could be a international push all of pokemon that's true but i'm reaching here but what if it's a battle royale mode what if platoon's going battle royale or spin-off game what if it's a splattle royale there we go splattle royale could be could be hmm this is kind of fun that actually would be kind of cool i mean it's it's just take this platoon engine with the mechanics and branch it out to a spin-off game I doubt it's that. I seriously doubt it's that. And that would not shock the world because the world's expecting everything to be Battle Royales as we talked about last episode. I mean, like, yeah, I feel like next time I get ice cream, they're going to be like, you have to fight with 50 other people around the restaurant and whoever gets it gets, you know, whatever. So who knows? Um, But my point is, see how good Nintendo is at hyping things? They have one magazine say it'll shock the world and we just spent like five minutes talking about three words. That's Mm -hmm. how Nintendo's good at hyping things. Uh, But let's talk about something you can actually... um, see real hype for and know is a real thing because we don't know what the Splatoon thing is. might not be anything at all. But we do know that Smash Bros. is a real thing. That is really happening and it's happening at E3. Earlier this past week, Nintendo revealed the eight players that they'll be inviting to the Smash Invitational at E3. It's a lot. I mean, we, we sort of alluded to earlier that the, I feel like they're making a push for esports more than ever before. Like, it's a, it's quite the list. You, yeah, you know the, these people better than I yeah, do. Yeah, the, the people they picked just I mean, just based on that alone implies that Nintendo is definitely taking the esports scene, at least with Smash Brothers, a lot more seriously. Because mm-hmm. every single one of them, they picked... <coughs> I'm still coughing. You okay there? <coughs> yes. <laughs> they picked four top Smash 4 players and four top Melee players. And these are, like, the best of the best. Like, pretty much people that always... Like Zero them. and Mango yeah. and... Like, Zero being... Even though he's currently retired, like, still the best Smash player, Smash 4 player. The only notable absence is, I guess, whoever, like, the currently ranked best melee player, which is... Hungrybox. Yeah, Hungrybox, which... Now, have, which, I Which had quite a few notable appearances with Nintendo, even playing against Reggie, but he's also kind of been vocal against Nintendo, sort of. I think that's what's up. Is This is... Yes, they're going to angle up for esports, but this thing's first and foremost a marketing maneuver. So, the dude who store pokes at reggie in person fine they can get around that but the but it's the same dude who just the, the other month when he won a melee tournament was like see nintendo you gotta support melee and it was all like kind of douchey about it and that's fair maybe he wants to support it but how much you all bet nintendo does not want him saying those words at an event made to promote the new switch smash brothers that just is super out of place and they probably don't feel they can control him enough based on how he acted around reggie so yeah i, I think you're right i think that's why he's not there 
Well, regardless, it still seems like it'll be an interesting show. Yeah, I mean, the list, for those I mean, who haven't seen the list, it's and for those who happen to know who these people are, it's M, uh, MK Leo, Zero, Armada, Abandon... Abandago. Thank you. I was like, that's a Gina, I know. Abandago, Plop, Mr. R, Lucky, Mango. Yeah, there's a few matchups that I'm really curious about. I'm especially curious just to see... Like, well, I mean, I guess what the Smash Brothers turns out to be, but how the melee players, I guess, adapt to it. Because for the most part, like, I'm sure it's going to be like another half step between, I guess, how Smash 4 was to Brawl. And if you were good at Brawl, you were good at Smash 4. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be another, if you're good at Smash 4, then you're going to be good at this one. Your skill from melee definitely did not translate to Brawl. Seems like it will to this one. So, I don't know. I, I suspect my gut tells me that this game is going to meet in the middle. Because they want to wean people off both the old Smash Bros. to make Switch it, the go-to eSports. But Smash Bros. was already in the middle. More in the middle. Oh, geez. So is this going it's more towards Melia? Maybe. Yeah, cause, cause I kind of hope not because I kind of don't like how Melia plays. Which is it mostly the speed that people care about? Well... They're not. Uh, they're obviously not going to wave dashing. Well, well yeah. Well, again, I mean, but... I mean, yeah. The, the, there is speed. There is um the wave dashing. Yeah. But that's oh. just because of the way you air, air dodging his handle in the game. You can right. only air dodge once in the game, and you control the direction, so people just angle it towards the ground and do it right when they jump, and that's how you wave dash. Mm-hmm. But yeah, also, I don't know. Just the way the game feels, it, I don't know. It just feels very heavy. Very. Just not that fun to play. It's it's true that from what I recall, melee does the it's, characters drop like rocks compared to like later boulders, ones. Yeah, yeah. it's just really fast. But I mean, another result like the game just kind of skewed towards faster agile characters, which mm-hmm. pretty much made it so like if you wanted to compete, you would only have to pick between like four or five characters. Whereas mm-hmm. Brawl and Smash Four had a much wider variety of. I mean, in Brawl, you could pretty much. You almost see almost any character make it to like a top sixteen, top ten. Mm-hmm. Whereas in melee, you can count on that for it to just be Fox. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess if nothing else, if maybe maybe the game doesn't be in the middle, but they're definitely trying to bridge the two esports scenes. With Hopefully, at least from a like. I mean, if they're successful, yeah. they can actually let melee properly retire. I mean, the only reason Much people, hungry boxes chagrin. <laughs> I mean, the only reason people are still playing it is because they haven't found something better to latch onto. Right. Whereas, like, I mean, people still play Street Fighter 3, Street Fighter 2, but for the most part, the majority of the people moved on to 4 when that came out. Um, most The majority of people moved on to 5, somewhat reluctantly at first, mm-hmm. but, I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Yeah, it just seems that, like, the fact that it's a 50-50 melee uh, Smash 4 split of players... Just it seems more Smash Four recently. Like every time there's like no, I mean, I mean the, the oh yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, tournament, yeah. not in real life in the tournament. Oh, in the tournament, yes. Because yes. I'm just thinking like it. It really feels like Nintendo being like, this is that game. This is that system. We want every Smash, everyone to be playing this Smash on the eSport machine that is going to be Switch. Like they've been positioning Switch as an eSport machine. We've talked about how it could be an eSport machine on the show before, and like this really feels like this is kind of the nudge. And it even ties in super nicely with rumors that Bandai Namco is back on board as a co-developer. Like. uh you hear about that? That I mean, it makes sense, but I mean, I didn't really expect them not to be helping. Yeah, me neither. But I guess some people were unclear if they were. And then this guy on Twitter named Tiago Sonobe, he uh, claims, if this is true, that he left Bandai Namco before development of Smash for Switch began, but he helped make the rendering engine they're using. So he was treating like, "Oh, cool! Here's my rendering engine. I didn't work on the game though." 
Like, is it real? Who knows? But does it make sense for Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco, whichever name order you prefer, to um, be involved again? I'd say absolutely. Like, these guys cut their teeth with Smash 4. They know the feedback. They know the ins and outs. And I'm sure they're using a very similar engine. So they know how it all works. And they can just sort of cater to what they need to cater to. They're like they have expertise in it versus hiring a whole new team out of nowhere. So that that I think yeah I think that matches up as further proof that maybe this is a more esport oriented. I want you to be totally wrong, and it was actually retro the whole time. Imagine you know it'd be funny like jumping genres completely again. What if retro was the ones make, making the next Pokemon because Game Freak's too busy with that like pseudo trading card game thing that we talked about the patents of the last couple episodes? No. Would that be a twist? Or what if retro is making Animal Crossing? But it's first person with a visor, and no, they're, <laughs> ma- they're, they're they're making that battle royale animal crossing that you oh yeah for last that you jumped up last episode yeah yeah I'm proud of that by the way I'm very proud of that but yeah I mean so I guess yeah I guess it, it, it comes down again to we'll just have to wait and see but Nintendo's good at building hype because here we go we just now for a third episode row talk about Smash knowing nothing about it. Yeah. Like it's some, it's it's quite the talent. They have, it's things like Nintendo's. Nintendo's a unique position that you always know their major games have a lot of like promise to them. Like there's never a situation where like, oh, that's not going to turn out well. There's always enough like gravitas around them that like there's bound to be something good in there. Even like the B tier games, you're you know, there's usually something of interest involved in them, like an idea, a, a concept, something. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, you know, it's not like they're just pumping out sequels. It's like they try, except maybe it was half the Kirby lineup. But they usually try. Yeah, I mean, even some of the Kirby stuff like looked interesting. Yeah, even like the co-op stuff in Star Allies, which, I, you know, I gave the impressions I mean, like, a month ago, and I really liked it. But... visually pretty game. It was almost like the equivalent of... It's like a cartoon. It was like sugar cookies, but for your eyes. Like oh, I hope they put that on the box. We're, you know, we've never we're we're too small. Probably we've never been featured in an accolades trailer. You know how every time a game comes out, they put out the accolades trailer like the player <laughs> with quotes. I just want the final quotes like Kirby, blah blah, blah like IGN, da da da, da GameSpot, blah blah, blah Kotaku, da 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 da. It's like sugar cookies, but you know, for your eyes. Random Nintendo. <laughs> That's our new goal. That is our new goal for this pod. Life goal for the podcast <laughs> is to get that quote in a trailer for a game that came out two months ago. <laughs> I got diabetes just booting the game up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, switching, I guess switching gears ever so slightly. Um, Nintendo's also doing something pretty promising in my opinion with um, mobile. For a, from, a, from a corporate perspective, they're doing something promising by really going all in on mobile, which we sort of touched on last episode. Um, we were discussing our new partnership with Psy Games. They were doing Dragalia Lost. Uh, but then some comments came out in interviews from their financial briefing Q&A transcript, that sort of thing. And it really seems to suggest that like Nintendo's not messing around here. And I think what I find so interesting is that mobile is officially 100% no longer a means to an end for them. It is now the end in and of itself. Like, I sort of touched on this, we're going right into the business news here for a minute, but I sort of touched on this last episode, but Nintendo always used to say that mobile games were for IP expansion, right? Like, that was their go-to line. They exist to get people into a character, to get people into a brand, then you go check them out on your dedicated machine, like your Switch or your 3DS or whatever, and that's it. They're a gateway drug. But then came Trigalia Lost, and Kimishima was saying things in the financial briefing like we talked about last episode that Nintendo also believes mobile should in and of itself make money. So then I think our attitude, at least mine last episode, was like, okay, cool, it's a side business, makes sense, why not make money? Everyone wants money, they're a company, they have investors, yada yada. But now the transcript's out from the Q&A. 
And the language used there is just like really ramped up from what we heard in the pre-written remarks. Because Kimishima said that mobile, they want to become a pillar of revenue. Now, just for some perspective here, IP expansion used to be a pillar of revenue. Their pillars of revenue, so to speak, were Switch, 3DS, and all their brand stuff with IP expansion. So Universal goes under there. Toys go under there. Licensing goes under there. The Uniqlo shirt thing goes under there. Van. Mario Serial goes under there. And Mobile. Van. Vans went under there. And Mobile goes under there. Like The idea was that was part of that. But now they're saying, no, 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 no. Mobile is now pillar number four. That's its own business. That not necessarily quite the same scale, but they're saying we're now Switch, 3DS, Mobile. Opposed to mobile feeding into Switch and 3DS, which is a, it's a slight difference, but a notable difference. That's kind of cool. Like what we're essentially seeing is Nintendo just went third party right under our nose in a very specific way. Like it, it, it's like before you before you scoff at that, I'm sure I, I definitely heard someone listening to this two weeks from now, like yeah, okay. But think about it. Look at Dragalia Lost. Not once, but twice in the investor Q and A. Kimishima made reference to Dragalia Loss already being made before Nintendo got involved. Sidegames already was working on it. Nintendo, as he put it, I'm just going to read the quote, felt that the application being designed was interesting and that it aligned well with Nintendo's concept. So we forged the business partnership with Sidegames on the idea that would enhance our own development resources for smart, ap- smart device applications going forward. That is literally what third-party publishers do. They go find something that fits what they are as a, like their identity as a company, and then they just pay to get it done, and they help distribute it. That's literally what Nintendo's doing. I mean, granted, they're also giving development advice, which, you know, EA can come into the Battlefield studio and be like, hey, guys, let's loot box it up. And they'll be like, oh, guess we're going to put some loot boxes now, and that, you know, that's the publisher's decision. And Nintendo, not quite in the same way, but they're giving advice like that. So they are literally a third-party publisher now on mobile. It's, it's interesting. And according to Kimishima, they still plan to only release two to three mobile games a year, but the idea is to go bigger with longer-term successes. So think like more Fire Emblem, less Mitomo. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, R.I.P. Mitomo shut down the other day. I'd say it was sad, but I didn't even realize it happened, so I guess I'm not that sad. When's the last time you played Mitomo before I shut down? I haven't been installed in like over two years or however wow. long I still have it on mine, but now when you try and boot it up, it just I don't think anything happens. I actually don't know what happens. Let's live broadcast me trying to turn on a game that shut down three days ago. Doesn't that sound so would you grand still old time? keep it? Or you I mean, gonna... I'm a digital pack rat. I have like five pages of it. Oh, oh huh. hey, look at this. It's actually loading. Oh, Nintendo account cannot be linked. Please try to link again. Okay. And then it takes you to Nintendo.com. Where it proceeds to not work. Cool. Mitomo, I hardly knew you because I barely used you. But anyway, the point is, they want to do less of those Mitomo flukes and more of Fire Emblem, you know, like long-term successes. But then, that's that's what Kimishima said. So two or three games a year that kind of follow the Fire Emblem mold. But then, you simultaneously had the incoming president, Shintaru Furukawa, the guy we were talking about earlier. He went to Japan's uh, Nikkei newspaper... And he did an interview where he said that Nintendo wants to turn mobile gaming into a billion-dollar business. And you have to wonder how how you do that with only two or three games. Unless those games happen to do super well, you need more than two to three games, right? Like, you need to actually make just more games. I mean, in defense of Kimishima's vision, Furukawa says that the goal for a billion sprung out of the success of Pokemon Go. So he's like, well, if Go can get $910 million in a year, why can't we get a billion? But Go isn't normal. Like it has Go, Pokemon attached to it. Go has Pokemon attached. Go is a, was a like uh, cultural phenomenon. 
Go is a type of rare game where you can attempt a massive real-life festival for it, you can botch it completely to the point where there were refunds issued and lawsuits filed, and then you can still sell out your second year of it, which they just did, like, yesterday, or two days before this episode goes up. Like, that's what Pokemon Go is. Not every game's gonna be Pokemon Go. Which, by the way, that's actually a thing. They are doing a second Pokemon Go fest in Chicago. And they claim they're going to avoid all the pitfalls of the original Pretty, version. pretty brave. Yeah, I mean, from what their CEO's been saying, the Niantic CEO, he did an interview and he's basically – he thinks they can handle it with a one-two punch of optimizing on their end and bear communicating with service providers what they need from them. So instead of it just being like one central spot where everyone's going to meet and try and catch whatever random Pokemon happens to be in Chicago, they're actually going to have people go along a two close to two-mile like walk. Instead of being in Grand Park, which is a big square, they're doing it in Lincoln Park, which is a big, narrow, like, corridor. Lincoln Park? Yes, they're doing it inside the band. Huh. They're just in each member of the band, they will have Pokemon hidden. Oh, and just, Sans one. Sans one, yeah. But, oh, it's got dark. Anyway, uh, no, but they're, so yeah, it's like a two-mile walk, and then they're simultaneously telling all the cell phone providers, hey, this isn't like a music festival. This is significantly more people that use significantly more <laughs> data. Significantly better. This is, so basically, like, bring, like, quadruple your towers. Do what you gotta do. So now Coachella, eat your heart out. Yeah, literally. It's like, forget Coachella. We got Pikachus in costumes. We're good. Beyonce did a crazy set. That's okay. We're gonna Pikachu do a pirouette. It'll be fine. But um, but no, it's – yeah, it's they seem to have it better lined up. And as proof, in Japan for the Pikachu outbreak last year where Pikachus take over that one city. That sounds pretty funny, Pikachu outbreak last that's year. That's what that – yeah. That, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, when, when the Pikachu outbreak happened and they had to stop flying people internationally because they were afraid it was going to spread. When that happened, yeah, they, they managed to survive just fine. No, they um, they had two – million people participating in that city playing pokemon go no issues so realistically yeah they can probably make chicago work again but my point here my point here is that <laughs> make chicago work make, again. make chicago great again i mean uh, you know he, they're saying the trouble with chicago that chicago is a troublesome city because of all the violence i think if they just get pokemon working there they can make chicago great again just saying but no um honestly what i'm getting at here is go is a rarity it's a glitch in the matrix that event is cool to try again. I don't. We'll see how it goes. But I don't see how Furukawa's goal of a billion bucks can become reality unless either A, Nintendo looks out, or B, they make more than two or three games. Because like even if you look at Pokemon Go, or if you look at Pokemon, I don't think as a I can franchise. think of a franchise besides Pokemon that could really right? pull in that much. Like the next one would it guess it'd be Animal Crossing, maybe? Not really, because it's not doing because that. Because obviously, Fire Emblem is their most successful mobile. Because obviously, Mario can't do that. Unless they do a completely different style, but. Yeah, I I don't know Mario Kart maybe that's what they're that's next Zelda is coming up but like Fire Emblem I wouldn't expect Fire Emblem to be their most successful mobile game but it is so the franchises you least expect might be the ones that do best maybe but, it's time they do their own puzzle fighter maybe no. everyone no actually it's not because Capcom pulled the plug on there on six months so clearly it didn't resonate well that's just because they decided that's to because Capcom sucks at mobile they games. they they pulled well I mean. The game was apparently really fun. Like, Elvis loved it. I had another friend that were like, they were both really into it. And it was pulled just as they apparently said that it was getting even better. But apparently the people working on the game, they got pulled to go work on another project. Right, the Capcom Vancouver team. Yeah, so literally just like, we want you guys to work on this other game. Sorry. Yeah, I guess guess that's an approach. But no, it's interesting because like, even if you look at just Pokemon, like they don't need, they don't have a puzzle fighter, but... Pokemon Go is only part of the Pokemon Mobile story. There's also Pokemon Shuffle that has 15 million downloads. There's Pokemon Duel that just passed 34 million downloads. 
So, like, I don't know if Nintendo can just look at Pokemon Go and be like, well, Pokemon made a billion. Because, like, yeah, but you had the Fluke plus all these other games who are flanking it for extra support. So that makes me wonder where Nintendo's resources for pumping out additional mobile games may come from. Because let's say they do two to three, fine. But they also have to manage to stay stream dedicated system releases. And that's especially in light of the fact that Kimishima said in the Q&A that 3DS lives on pretty much as long as it needs to until Switch goes from being a one console per household system to a one console per person system. That's when they're going to pull the plug on 3DS. So they have all these developers that are now making games for 3DS that maybe weren't. Then they want to have two or three mobile games per year at the rate they've been doing and have Switch continue at the rate it's been doing. And Kimishima is saying like DNA, they're still working with them, but they're mostly back end, so they're not going to do it. Psy Games, they're working with them, but Psy Games isn't going to touch Nintendo IPs apparently, so they're not going to do it. So that leaves it to Nintendo themselves to make these games. But they're busy with Switch and they're busy with now apparently 3DS. Where who's making these games? I mean, here here's my crazy theory. It's based on absolutely nothing. It's probably not at all true because Nintendo could just keep forging mobile developer partnerships. They could just publish other companies' games, but. What if Nintendo took some of their traditionally second and third party partners and they had them cook up some interesting mobile projects? Sort of like how How Lab had uh, their side project of part-time UFO on iOS and Android a couple months ago. Like what if Next Level Games made something? Like what are they up to right now? They lasted Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon on 3DS, but it was just confirmed the other week that they're not doing the 3DS remake of the original Luigi's Mansion. They passed off the engine and the assets and everything to Grezzo, the guys that did uh, the 3DS Zelda ports. So what's Next Level Games doing right now? I mean, maybe they're working on something on Switch, but could they spare a few people to do a cool little mobile project? Or like Retro Studios. They apparently have two teams because one was in charge of the port of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, which we just recently learned. And then the other is cooking up some sort of massive new game that actually seems just about done. Their lead uh, story guy just left the company, and you only really leave the company. No, not bad per se, because you only really leave a company in that situation when your contract's up, and your contract's only up when you're done. So unless there's a huge falling out, he wasn't going to breach his contract. So suggests Retro might be done on two fronts, Donkey Kong and whatever new game is. So who knows? But they could potentially have a small team build something, or even like, you know, NST, the re- the guys behind Mario vs. Donkey Kong. They're an NOA-based developer they have a lot of experience with little bite-sized games all the mario versus donkey Kong games so like they'd be perfect for it like i'm not saying nintendo should stop Man, these I teams about that franchise. right so did nintendo it seems finally what was that last one on minis the march again it was actually the best one in a while that was the oh no 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 the last one on wii u and 3ds was the the one where you star star nope that's a curvy game uh is like nope that that's that's also i think a curvy game no it um it was the one where you rate stars, tipping stars, uh, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, you give each other stars, and there's a whole economy around it, and then it got shut down in like a year and whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't think Nintendo should necessarily stop these real teams from making real games. Like, the next Mario Strikers on Switch, or the Metro Prime Trilogy being ported to Switch, or whatever these guys are working on, they shouldn't stop because Nintendo might want them to make a mobile game, but... You know, if Hal can peel off a few people to do a side project that leverages what works well in a mobile interface with their game design panache. First time I've done that. We've mm-hmm. got 176 episodes. I've never said panache on the air, but I just did. But, you know, if Hal can do it, why can't... Congratulations. Thank you. Why can't Retro do it? Why can't NST do it? Why can't Next Level Games do it? Why... 
confine those guys to only the input systems of the dedicated Nintendo systems and those interfaces when in Nintendo's mind mobile's almost just as important now and they can just let them go wild on there too. I don't know. It's just a thought. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to happen, but I think it'd be cool if they did. I mean, if, if it like if, if it was you, if Retro Studios was like, so we're coming out with blah 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 in two years, but by the way, here's a fun little side project we did on a smartphone. Would you like be like taking it back? Like, why aren't they dedicated resources to the real game? Because I feel like some fans totally would. I feel like my like, fr- well, my first reaction would have been like, oh, I want to see what right? Retro did see? on their phone. Yeah, exactly. That's why I kind of feel like it could be interesting. Like, how proved it's doable? Because they came out part time UFO literally six weeks before Star Allies, and they did both of those. So, you know, why not let Nintendo have their friends flex their muscle a bit, their mobile muscle? Yep. So we'll see. It's it's unclear if it'll ever happen. It's just my pet dream. But but that's what Nintendo's been up to. From the smarts of getting mobile game money to the puzzling Switch Online, they've been doing all that. But this episode's, like, weird yin-yang of a theme. Uh, it also applies to third parties. So, Angel, which would you like to start with, the puzzling or the promising of third-party news? Mm, puzzling. All right. So the puzzling one is Capcom. Uh, to be fair, it is still positive news. North America and Europe will finally be seeing the release of Monster Hunter Double Cross on Switch, which is now under the name of Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. comes out August 28th. But here's what's puzzling. Why now? Why, why is it – it came out with Switch in Japan in its first mo- – in the launch months of Switch. So March 2017. Yeah, it's way too late. And as Jason said at one point during the podcast, like, yeah. they've already had – a better version come out on every other console except PC, which is still coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Like Monster Hunter World, like that game was rebuilt from the ground up to be pretty much the next step of Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm. And this one was supposed to tide you over, but it came out, well, now it's coming out way after Monster Hunter World. There's zero reason to get this. Well, see, obviously, see, if you don't have a PS4, Xbox One, or PC that could run it, I guess that's well, what you have. This is, I think, Capcom's But angle. Monster Hunter is such a good game that, honestly, like, for a lot of people... like You mean World, right? Or do you Monster mean... Hunter World. Yeah. Like, uh, it was so good that it actually became a system seller. It was, like, that kind of game that people would It's their best-selling game, Capcom. Like, It's their period. best franchise, yeah. But, which is crazy because they tried so long to make it a big franchise. Like, they worked with Nintendo. Like, remember in the Wii, Wii yeah, U? Finally Wii paid Day? off. Kudos to them. Yeah, it's great. But... Beat out Street Fighter. But like, a game that I would argue is more synonymous with Capcom. It is. But, yeah. Totally. It'd be like, um... It'd be like Pokemon sneaking up on Mario and passing it, which I guess it also did. It's, or no, Mario's guess, still bigger. I guess other... I guess there are other brands feel more synonymous with Capcom. Like, I mean... Mega Man. Mega Man. Mega Man. Mega Man. Resident Evil... There's a lot. After that, you kind of get like a little distant, like Okami, Ace Attorney, Mon- Blood Rising. Monster is like the sleeping giant that no one knew was there, but was apparently. Well, yeah, but, it, but it's always been. There. But you did make a point that kind of seems like, why would you get this? And I think very <laughs> because simple, you have no other choice. Well, I think it's I think Capcom again, much like Nintendo's doing with the Switch Online stuff, is in a weird spot that they could have just not put themselves in if they did this right. Because here's the thing. You can pitch Monster Hunter on Switch as kind of a companion experience to Monster Hunter World. I mean, remember last episode we talked about Call of Duty's probably on Switch could be only a Battle Royale game. So if you want the meaty Call of Duty, you go play it on PS4 and Xbox One. Then if you want to play like a more casual, like on-the-go Call of Duty, you can play Battle Royale on your Switch or whatever or keep the battle going on the go. Like the Monster Hunter thing, it 
kind of does that too. Because one, right now, Capcom has the upside of all these headlines of Monster Hunter coming to Switch. And before anyone necessarily reads into it too much, like, oh, cool, Switch is getting Monster Hunter. That's a huge game. Awesome. Which is true. And then you read into it, it's like, oh, this is like a classic Monster Hunter in the traditional style. And it's a little, like, it's not quite, it doesn't have like the heft in a way of Monster Hunter World. So it's a little more portable friendly. So you can go do your Monster Hunter World at home and then play like the old school Monster Hunter on go. It's like how you used to have Twilight Princess on your Wii and then like Phantom Hourglass on your DS. It's like that sort of thing. Yeah. So you could argue that that's an angle that can sell it. But at the same time, Capcom stuck with this huge disadvantage of people like, like you saying like, I don't care about it. I moved past it. I'm in the future of Monster Hunter now. And you would have been a person that would have absolutely bought it if it was on Switch before World, right? But now that it's like after World, you just don't, after World, you just don't hmm. care. But right, like if you if it, if this came out six months ago, like let's say last October, you would have bought it probably because yeah, World definitely. was not a thing yet. Yeah, World came out on four twenty. Wait, no, that was God of War. World came out in March. Or? It was January. But who's counting? Really? I think wow. so. Oh, I guess I got my PS4 in January because I just started playing it. You got your PS4. I mean, in, in April, in yeah. April, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just like uh, so. Like the, the the problem that Capcom's now facing is they have this great way of selling it, but then they also the people they want to sell it to a lot of them have moved on. It's very much the same conundrum that like Switch Online is with Nintendo, and it's all about how you look at it and the context. And versus if they just did it from the start, if they just released it with the Switch or in tandem with Japanese release, all this would be resolved. But but to Capcom's credit, it's not like Ultimate won't offer anything new for someone who is a fan of the franchise. If you're on board with the classic gameplay, this one comes with everything Generations on 3DS had, has uh, the ability to actually import your save from the 3DS version, which I don't even know how they do that. It must be through the cloud, but kind of neat. And there's new monsters, and there's a new harder difficulty with the G ranks uh, they're including. So there's stuff there for those who care. It's just harder to say who cares than it used to be. Like, it's hard to identify who those people are. Like, the game... Is cut off at the knees a bit by doing it now. Exactly. So it's it's just puzzling that Capcom waited this long. They feel like I feel like they were just late with everything with Switch. Like they're now hitting the ground running, but it took them like a year to get there. You know. Um, the other the other one I said there's a puzzling and a promising. The promising one is uh, Nicholas. They've been on a roll lately with like different game announcements. Specifically, they've been on a roll with crossover game announcements. I mean, for the past week, they've been trickling out new fighters for the roster of their 2D fighting game Blade Strangers. And it's kind of been a who's who of Nicholas's library and just broader indie games. I mean, you got Isaac from Binding of Isaac in there. You've got Quote from Cave Story. You've got Gunvolt from Gunvolt. And you've got the, like, granddaddy of all indie crossovers himself, Shovel Knight, who is in every indie game ever released at this point. Like, you could boot up VVVVV, and I bet you he's just tucked away in the code somewhere now. Or, like, he, he's just unstoppable. Shovel Knight's everywhere. But point is... Blade Strangers is now going like full Smash Bros in an indie world sense. And I'm curious, as the fighting game aficionado, what, what do you even think of Blade Strangers? Because it's, it's basically Nicholas's attempt at a street fighter. I mean, it looks interesting. I mean, it's all 2D, hand-drawn, kind of art style, kind of in the same vein as um, Skullgirls. Mm-hmm. But something about it, I don't know what it is. It just feels cheap. I don't know. Elaborate something about it. I don't know. Maybe just the visual style, but it just doesn't seem. I mean, I know like two uh, pixel arty for its own good. No, it's, it's not pixel arty. It's it, that's it's like Skullgirls. Skullgirls. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's hand drawn. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know it's not. I don't. Nick Nicholas isn't a triple A developer, but the game just 
know, it feels very rough around the edges. I don't know. It's really hard to describe, but it just feels unfinished. I mean, technically. Technically. Technically, it still is. <laughs> I mean, time will tell. But I mean, I think it's really cool that, like, it's getting this kind of crossover. I never would have expected Isaac to be part of a fighting game. Let alone covered in tears. Like, every time they showed him, he was crying. Well, I mean, that's, that's... I know, that's him. That's yeah. him, but... So, I don't know. It's definitely intriguing, but I feel like I still have my eyes set on Pocket Rumble for now. Right, if that ever comes out. I mean, they just got a launch trailer in Japan, but I don't know. Oh, at the, uh, at Bit Summit, the indie conference yeah. thing? Hmm. I didn't even know. I didn't even see that. How did I miss that? But, yeah, I don't I, know. I mean, you miss a lot of things. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I try not to, but I, we're not all perfect. Yeah. I know, I know you think you are not king, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, Blade Strangers, it feels like Nicholas is doing everything right. Like, they're promising, you know, to make it like a real fine game. There's gonna be. I don't appreciate the, the character that's just a little girl riding a giant cat. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but not even just like character design. I mean, like, in their, like, descriptions of the game, they're saying, you know, tournament caliber, uh, option, like, opportunities for frame counting, chain construction, hitbox science. Like they're really trying to make this a eSport type of fighting game. So we'll, we'll see if they do. But yeah, I guess art-wise, I can see why you're saying it's a little rough. Um, the announcement that was more up my alley than than Blade Strangers. Because Blade Strangers, like 2D Fighters, smashes my limit, basically, to be honest. You knew that. But the one that's more up my alley is a separate crossover game entirely, also coming to Switch this year from Nicholas. It's called Crystal Crisis. And if Blade Strangers is Nicholas's attempt at a Street Fighter, I'd say that Crystal Crisis is their answer to a Puzzle Fighter. And ever since I first played well, the Pokemon Puzzle Challenge on Game Boy Color, I've just been a sucker for this whole subgenre of like fighting game or fighting through puzzles. Like, because Pokemon, you're fighting Pokemon battles, but instead of battles, they're puzzles. Obviously, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo on Game Boy, fighting through puzzles. So, this is right up my alley, and it looks to fill, fit the bill pretty much as you'd expect. It's a fighting game, but instead of fighting, you're matching colored blocks together. And it actually looks like it's going to separate itself a bit by offering a couple new layers to that formula of just matching blocks to fight. One of them is a burst gauge, which is basically a special attack thing where uh, you can build up this burst gauge and then now trigger some sort of full screen, crazy, all the blocks go everywhere moment when you succeed in launching it. But the more interesting one... Ah, the dopamine releaser. Yeah, exactly, the dopamine releaser. But the, the other one that's perhaps, I don't think I've seen any puzzle game do, is you can wrap around. They're calling it wrap around. So the board is obviously a flat surface, you know, and you drop the blocks down as you would in Tetris or whatever or Puzzle Challenge, but you can actually move the blocks left and right off one side of the screen, and it'll come around the other side. Ah, the Pac-Man effect. The Pac-Man effect. But what's really interesting is as the block drops, you can put the block half and half between the two sides, and you get two half colors, like slivers, on the far left and far right. Hmm, It's like a good evolution of that mechanic. Right? Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like, that in particular has me intrigued and they're of course promising like any good puzzle games got an arcade mode a survival mode there'll be a tag team mode there'll be training it'll be online it'll be offline single player multiplayer da, 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 da. but the biggie here excluding the gameplay interesting stuff is that like i said it's also a crossover game and it is quite a crossover game you'll be able to play as it's a whole lot of people quote curly brace and balos from cave story uh isaac from binding of isaac yeah. adam and blackjack which are tezuka production characters so not even like what are they even doing here? Um, Princess Solange, who is from Code of Princess and also from Blade Strangers. Um, multiple characters from 1001 Spikes. Multiple characters from Tempura of the Dead. Akui from Akui the Demon. 
Knight from Hydra Castle Labyrinth. Now I'm just reading the list. Johnny Turbo, which is a funny one because he's a mascot and isn't actually in any games. He's the Turbo Duo mascot, spokesperson thing. And um, also Astro Boy. Somehow they got Astro Boy in here. I have no idea how on earth they got Astro Boy, but they got Astro Boy. And each character is going to get their own home stage, their own music, special attacks, voice acting. So, like, Nicholas is really going all in on this thing. Like, and again, Astro Boy. That's not cheap to get Astro Boy. I don't know how they did that. But that one's actually particularly interesting because if you look at another, another, another Switch game, another other Switch game that Nicholas announced since our last episode, they're bringing Ikaruga. Oh, to the, the system. Hell game. Yes, to bring the Bullet Hell game, Ikaruga. Uh, we knew Treasure, the developers were toying with the idea. We talked about it on the podcast before, but Nicholas will now be making it a reality by publishing it in just a couple weeks. Comes out May 28th on the Switch here in the US for only 15 bucks. It'll come with the Tate vertical screen mode that Treasure was toying with and couldn't quite get to work, so I guess they figured it out. But the reason I mentioned Ikaruga under the context of Astro Boy is because Treasure also made a very well-received side-scrolling Astro Boy game on the Game Boy Advance back in the day. I don't know if you remember this or if you ever played this, Angel, but there was a game called Astro Boy Omega Factor, mm. published by Sega, developed by Treasure on Game Boy Advance. Can't say It is like Gunstar mixed with a side-scrolling shooter. Like Gunslinger? Or not Gunstar, sorry. Uh, yeah, Gunstar Heroes mixed with a side-scrolling shooter kind mm, of. Okay, okay, okay. So tre- basically Treasure's MO, what they do best. And if Nicholas now has Astro Boy rights, which they do, as we know from Crystal Crisis, and his buddy-buddy with Treasure, which they are, as we know from the Ikaruga port, I feel like it'd be awesome if they could somehow get a re-release or a remake or something of Omega Factor onto Switch. Like, I had, I never had the opportunity to buy Omega Factor on Game Boy. I don't know why I never bought it. I knew it was really good. I was like, oh, I'm going to get that one day, and then I just never did. So if they were to bring it to to Switch, I would be there in a heartbeat. And, like, I, I love Treasure's other games. I love Gunstar Heroes. That's the very first virtual console game I bought when we came back came out back in, like, 2006. Or, no, second. I think I bought Mario as well. But the point is, like, I, I now would like to right the wrong of never buying Omega Factor and... Nicholas is the closest we've been to making that reality by bringing it to Switch. They have all their ducks, they just need to put them in the row. Yeah. So if they could do that, I'd be super on board with that. But like, e- even without fulfilling that dream, it's just kind of it's just kind of cool to see what type of output Nicholas has been doing. Like, it's they've become the maybe the one of the most prevalent Switch publishers. And like, I would definitely say so. Even right? like their boxes and everything. Yeah, and what they come with, like the physical items they include, it's different with every game. Some are stickers, some are keychains, some are little figurines. Some, some are scratch offs. Scratch offs. Yeah. What do they do for Endo's Nigh? Because you have the physical of that, right? Yeah, you get a squishy little um, Ash Stress Ball. You get a full colored little book. Mm, right. You know that. That's still a decent amount, but like. Reversible cover, always. Yeah. Right, as always. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, in addition to just Crystal Crisis and Blade Strangers, they still have stuff like Thousand One Spikes coming. They still have stuff like Red Out, the, the Futuristic Racer, that's coming. So, like, they are very prolific, and it's very promising to see these guys keep doubling and tripling down on Switch. And obviously, it's doing well enough that they're now, you know, able to do stuff like get the rights to Astro Boy. So, I'm personally super interested in crystal crisis i mean what was what was your take when you saw it because you, you saw footage it literally just looked like um puzzle like, fighter. like puzzle fighter which doesn't really tickle my pickle it's not my cup of tea 
Um, like I've said before in the podcast, like match three or match color puzzles, like just don't really give me the same kind of entertainment factor that sure. Tetris does. Right. Yeah. Tetris. So, is, I would, so I'd probably, I mean, if I were to pick one, I would definitely pick Blade Strangers and probably play, check it out. Right. But <laughs> if you were to pick one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I will say it was weird seeing like Isaac in 3D. And like quote in 3D. I mean, it's fine because Nicholas has been teasing having some of these characters 3D rendered for a while on their Twitter. Like they just post like random renderings of quote from Cave Story just running like a 3D model. Never explained it, and then of course they all pop up in in uh, Crystal Crisis. But yeah, so like props to Nicholas for doing it. It's it's the you know it's it's all to tie in with her episode theme here. It's all very promising looking. So yeah, good on them. And uh, Nicholas wasn't actually the only one with some cool announcements. There are a couple other third parties who announced things as of late that I like. We wanted to briefly mention and highlight here, starting with the gang at Zen Studios, who are the pinball guys, Zen Pinball, Pinball FX. That's them, and their new game also relies on balls, but very different ones. And no, I'm not thinking what you might be thinking. I'm thinking I'm talking about dodgeball. And if anyone thought otherwise, get your mind out of the gutter. This is a family show, uh, not really. But yeah, I'm talking about dodgeball. They are making a dodgeball game. It is called Disco Dodgeball Remix. They're actually not making it. They're sort of porting it from PC. But it's called Disco Dodgeball Remix. It's coming to Switch this summer, I believe. And it mixes what amounts to arena-style first-person shooter gameplay with, like, Rocket League-style multiplayer sport gameplay. So it originally came out on PC back in the day. It was made by a single guy. The remix is being handled by Zen themselves. And how it works is combatants take on these ro- the role of these robots on wheel, like a single unis- uniwheel robot. Kind of looks like Rocket. Do you remember Rocket Robot on Wheels on the N64 back in the day? Rob- Rocket, Rocket Robot? Robot on Wheels that on N64. Not he has this little blue robot guy, and he rolled around as him, and he had a whole adventure that you go on. And these robots are basically his cousins or something. They look identical. I realize this reference is going totally over your head right now, but one dude out there is like, I remember Rocket. Good reference. So... Props to you, dude. Johnny Five. That's not even a video game. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just thinking of. You're just thinking of robot yeah. robots. Yeah, I remember Iron Giant. Probably because he was Justin Ray Player One like six weeks ago when I saw it. But oh, anyway, no, so this game you take on the roles of these robots and you are throwing glowing dodgeballs at people into a one hit kill scenario. And you're it's basically like you're in the arenas or like skate parks almost. And you're just kind of rolling around because you're on a wheel doing trick shots and weird angles and tossing dodgeballs at people. And it's all glowing in a very, like, Tron aesthetic. And there's, like, pu- like, like, you know, bass thumping club music playing. And it's just, like, this over-the-top thing. And you control it basically like you're in a first-person shooter, like a Quake-style first-person shooter. Like, the controls are very, like, FPS arena battle. Oh. But it's dodgeball. And it's one-hit kill. So it's literally, like, Quake meets Rocket League with... Tron visuals and robots. Sounds like they got some inspiration from Nintendo, or at least like to think outside the box. Yeah, yeah, or at least they saw what like Rocket League was doing and being like, "Well, cars can do soccer. Why can't robots do dodgeball?" <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it looks it looks really cool, and um, it's yeah, it's it's unclear exactly how this is gonna work on Switch. I mean, obviously it'll run on Switch, and it, it'll have online most likely. I assume it will have local play, but. Hard to say. But either way, it looks really fun, and the guys at Zen, they've done good stuff in the past, minus when Pinball FX3 had 
frame rate issues. But no, for the most part, it's a it, it looks promising and it feels right at home on Switch. It's kind of that zany, unique multiplayer thing that Switch does best. So agreed. Yeah, assuming it has local play, that's something to be looking forward to. And while we're on the topic of Tron-looking multiplayer experiences, you know what else is coming to Switch? Battle Zone. Oh. Yes, that Battle Zone. Be- PlayStation VR Battle Zone. Not to be confused with Battlefield. Not to be confused with Battlefield. Now, this Battle Zone is not in VR on Switch because we don't have VR. But um, it's going to be the same core game as what you could play on PlayStation VR. And I think ultimately they brought it to Oculus and HTC Vive as well. But basically, you get, you're get you in these procedurally generated worlds. It's one to four people. You're fighting together, co op against waves of enemies. And you're going to get all that, plus the post release content included in the, bu- in the package. So that's, you know, new tank skins, bobbleheads for your dashboard. Uh, new horns to honk, a classic mode that's just the straight up '80s battle uh, battle zone, or based on it at least, sort of imported in. And the reason I find it interesting that's kind of switch, besides the fact that like it's a VR game without the VR all of a sudden, is that I actually had a chance to try Battle Zone on PlayStation VR back at E3 a few years ago, and. I thought the game was really fun, but it did not need VR. Like, I played it, I'm like, this is cool, but, like, your v- the VR element of Battlezone is essentially the equivalent of the right analog stick if you're playing a twin-stick game. So, like, the left, you moved your tank and you shot. The right, which was your face, you looked around. So there's nothing lost in bringing, in my opinion, in bringing Battlezone to Switch because, really, you have a right stick you can use instead of turning your head, and it achieves the exact same thing, so... No harm, no foul, and it and it is a fun game. Like, you know, it's unlike like just to further get to what I mean here is like I also tried the London Heist at E3 and a few years ago. And the London Heist that is a real VR experience. You're holding a that PlayStation. Was too long for me to try that. Oh yeah, Comic Con. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, I did London Heist at Comic Con, but Battlezone E3. There. I settled for the what's it called the puzzle one. It was like 3D Tetris. Oh right. I should know it was more like Kitsos Corridors if anything. Right. 3D Tetris Tetrisphere they should bring that back. That's a great N64 game but mm. that's literal 3D Tetris. You're dropping them you're like it's inverted Tetris like the blocks are already there and you blow them up as you go down a plant. Anyway point being mm, Sounds like Monument Valley. No not all like Monument Valley. Not at all. It's, mm. it's totally different. Uh, but anyway the point I was going to make is like London Heist, you know, you have a PlayStation Move controller and it represents a hand, it represents a gun, and it's one-to-one with every motion you make. Battlezone, like, you're still holding a regular controller to actually do actions. Your head's literally just on a swivel. That's what the VR gets you. So there's literally no reason to have it as a requirement. Thus, why not have it on Switch at that point? And and the thing is, it's a fun game. It's, you know, it's, it's just crazy tank combat. So if you like that, cool, that's on Switch. And we're getting this gold edition that'll come with everything sometime this summer as well. So... There you go. It's another multiplayer, this one co-op game to potentially look out for. But also coming this summer, I'm just going to cruise through these. Uh, something I think you actually, Angel, may be more interested in than Battlezone or even uh, Disco Dodgeball. If if you could be more interested in something than Disco Dodgeball, this may be it. And that is at last the Minecraft update. At last, they announced that this would be coming out towards the end of summer last year. Or something along those lines, but it just never came out, and I kept waiting, and kept getting delayed, and then it came out for other consoles, and, like, nothing. And all it does is make it so that Minecraft is cross-platform, just like Rocket League is with other platforms. But, Microsoft made a point that this is the first game that's this cross-platform on Switch. It will work with every system that can run Minecraft, minus the 3DS, because it's a weird isolated version, 
and PlayStation 4 because Sony's lame. But it works with Xbox, PC, iPhone, uh, Android, Mac. Like the list just goes on and on. It's the yeah. most interconnected Switch game. Which that's is come great because I've been really wanting to play this with like Elvis and another friend. And now you can. But it's been so long, a whole year, that I don't even know if they still want to play Minecraft anymore. They were definitely interested a while ago. Well, if they didn't play in the interim, why not? I mean, it's a pretty hefty update besides just the uh, um, bear together function. Well, because they're playing different games now. That's true. But, I mean, maybe this is an excuse to get back in. They because... got into a game called, um, what's it called? Decidium 2? I don't know or... why, but I was totally expecting like, They got this game. Oh, what's it called? Oh, um, Fortnite <laughs> or something like that. But no. Decidium 2? What is that? No, I'm thinking of some other game. Um, it's not called Decidium 2. Oh. It's okay. a sequel, but it's it's weird. It's kind of like a. It's like you're playing a board game, but in a video game, like a very heavy. So, Mario Party for adults. No, it's a board game and a video game. It's like you're playing a role playing board game. Oh, interesting. It's like one of those games. Interesting. Well, maybe they'll come back to Minecraft in due time, and when, and when they do, not just better together. There's also the Bedrock Engine, meaning everything looks pretty, and. The Switch version, when this all launched on June 21st, we'll be getting the Mario Mashup pack for free. So all uh, that stuff... Do we already have it? Apparently not. I mean, I've been playing in it. In the Switch version? Yes. Why are they hyping it up like it's new? Oh, know. because... I know why. Because the same day that this comes out on digital for you to download, they're also doing a package retail release, which will come with the Mario Map Pack pre-installed on that package. Opposed to having to download it when you get the game. Okay. That's probably that, where that, makes, that makes more That's sense. probably what happened. I probably got my wires crossed. But nonetheless, it's all happening. June twenty first. Same around that same time, you know what else is getting the Mario Mashup pack? The new three DS version. I didn't think the new three DS version, which to be clear I'm saying new Nintendo three DS version, not the new version for Nintendo DS for because Nintendo's naming sucks. But anyway, the new three DS version I didn't think was gonna do well enough to justify releasing content for still but they did an update a couple weeks so. ago I mean, that's pretty impressive that yeah doing it. goes to show maybe nintendo's not crazy for milking the 3ds still like that game's selling on the limited new 3ds range so hey but um yeah i don't know exactly when it's coming out i think it's around the same time as this but june 21st is when the switch stuff is happening and june itself is turning into like a surprisingly stacked month for switch i mean along with minecraft we uh, already knew there's sushi striker and mario tennis coming Luminis for Switch is now launching sometime that month instead of this month as originally planned. But somewhat surprisingly, going in the other direction, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy has been bumped up from July 10th to June 29th, which means it's now releasing the same day as Wolfenstein 2. So that's like six potentially pretty notable releases all coming to Switch in one month. So get ready for June. And, and that's, you know, Mar- uh, May here still has some games too. We got Hyrule Warriors, we got Runner 3. Like, there's a lot of stuff to play on Switch in these next couple of weeks. So. Hope you guys are ready. But, like, before any of that hits, um, there's stuff to play now and, you know, going forward. And for me, what I've been playing lately is Cluster Truck, which is my way of – Yes, which is my way of saying we're now transitioning to what we're playing. Um, No more news. And Cluster Truck has actually – Cluster Truck has actually been out for, like, a short while now. I want to say since March, possibly. But I I only just got it recently thanks to a download code courtesy of the guys at tiny build who published it and uh conceptually this game is just bonkers 
Like, it's almost like an inverse of Frogger. Instead of dodging trucks as you get from go from point A to point B, you're leaping off the tops of the trucks to reach point B from point A. Like, all of these trucks are smashing and crashing and flying and toppling over each other. It's really just a cluster truck. Like, <laughs> if you that's, will. If, if you will, yes. Uh, and, and gameplay-wise, what we're talking about here is basically a rapid-fire first-person physics platformer. Which I know is a very common genre we're all used to, but no, it's 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 you're running into the screen. You need to maintain enough momentum and maneuverability to make it from truck to truck. But again, since they're all individually moving, sometimes in set ways, so sometimes in unexpected ways, it's never quite the same path twice. So they're using the same like physics engine because this is just like when they get from looking at it, it just looks like they the, took the movement from Gang Beast and it had you. You know, I truck. did get a Gang Beast vibe. I don't know if it's so which much from also, the... Which is also, I guess, a human fall flat, which I guess is also... I don't know if the engine's the same, but I did actually, funny enough, get a bit of a Gang Beast vibe. Basically, from the ragdoll kind of, physics. Yeah, yeah. It's using... It's very heavily leaning on, like, real-time wacky physics. It has a similar art style to Gang Beast. So it's just, like, bright, colorful, simple shapes. But but what's interesting with, with this versus, say, Gang Beast, where it's total mayhem, is there is there is a little structure here. Oh, like it's you sort of know what you're getting. Like the, the the trucks will collide in different ways, but you can kind of map out. Okay, some trucks won't collide, so I need to get on those trucks to make my way through. Like the it's the game's just as much about like reflex as it as as it is about finding the right path through the repetition. If that makes sense, because yeah, like like as you do need to know which trucks will get you out of the mess of everything, which will actually continue to the goal. And you're going to die a lot just trying to do that. But even in those instances, the specific way the trucks react with one another do vary slightly. So, yeah, there is definitely a ragdoll element, but there's also definitely, like, a structure. A loose structure, for lack of a Hmm. better term. So, like, I mean, the game's kind of built with that in mind. Like, it's built for a very trial-and-error approach to the gameplay. You die, you respawn. It's both very quick. The levels themselves are pretty short, too. You never really feel like you have to go through too many tedious motions over and over again just to figure out the one tricky spot where... Sometimes the truck flies over you, sometimes it goes under you, whatever it may be. Like, really, everything about the game is just about, like, rapidly getting you into those levels and continually going over and over and trying to do it. Like, when you first boot it up, no backstory, no explanation. Why are you truck hopping? I have no idea. Uh, it, like, why, you can not just hop over really, trucks. No you can go very there's far. No, like, even expeditional text to explain nope. what's going on? No, my, my theory is the game is secretly a robot unicorn attack tie-in game, and you're actually playing as the unicorn, but in first person's perspective. A first person's perspective. But it could just as easily be a superhero jumping off trucks. It could be like a Pegasus, because you can get real air at times. I don't know, maybe you're even Mario, or like a trucker version of Mario. Like, I have no idea, but it doesn't matter. You're just jumping off trucks. That's It's like a game of lava where you can't touch the floor, except there's crazy physics with trucks on top. Like, it... You'll need a reason. You just do it. But it kind of plays into this whole, like, your rapid-fire trial and error, just go, 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 which which works in its favor. Like, well, like the concept of it's all about jumping, like, and just getting you in and jumping as quickly as possible, like, it really permeates the whole experience. Sounds like, intriguing. Yeah, like, the, the menus are bare-bones to the point of, like, barely being there just for the sake of getting you back into these levels very fast and just jump, 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 jump. Like, for the most part, it doesn't really matter I, that there's no real menus. But I will say... One thing that kind of bothered me is um, if you want to equip power-ups without needing to back all the way out to the main menu and more on those power-ups in a second, if you want to do that, you you can't. You only can equip a power-up as you go through levels 
when you first had the option to unlock it. If you want to then go and change it, you have to back all the way out to the main menu. So even though these menus are very simple and to the point, it's still structurally a little strange, but that's not a huge deal. Um, but like the, the look and feel of the game, like I was sort of saying, it, it embraces this whole just like simplicity of just getting in and jumping around, like very vibrant, very colorful, crisp looking, but it's also very intentionally very simple. It's like just basic geometry. It works quite well. It looks great in the game. But it's just what it is. But um, yeah, everything's very just like you're gonna go, you're gonna jump, you're gonna die, you're gonna jump again, you're gonna keep wanting to do this over and over, and we're just gonna let you zip right into that as quickly as possible. Um, I did mention those power ups though. I feel like I should talk about that because for all the simplicity I keep stressing, um, the the actual gameplay of jumping has a decent amount of depth to it. I mean, first of all, the level designs are more than just trucks. There's barricades you need to navigate around. There's flying objects. There's lasers. There's giant swinging mallets. These are all types of things where trial and error gameplay is crucial for learning the layouts, but to help you get past kind of the random elements, you need power-ups to sort of give you that extra little boost. So, you know, get past the ragdoll of it all. So there's a set of power-ups you can buy and equip. Uh, they range from double jumps to the ability to go backwards, back to the truck you are just on, to um, like a bullet time slow-mo, to a grappling hook, to controlling Jeez. the trucks. Like there's a lot you can unlock. And they all pretty significantly morph how the game works. And they obviously help you beat levels, but they also play a role in the game's scoring system, which in turn is what gets you future power-ups. So basically how it works is without or with the abilities, you earn points. They're called style points. And um, every level you get points based on how fast you beat it, if you have any prolonged airtime, whether you did on your first try or not. And all these add up and become a currency and you use the style point currency essentially to buy the next power-ups. So you're not just it's not just about getting, a, getting through a level. You also want to do the best you can to maximize the points to be able to get more power-ups to then deal with later levels. So there is like a whole actual gameplay structure here. It's not just about like watch the, the crazy ragdoll like saying gang beasts, you know. Um, and, and the thing is, watch it sounds wacky and fun. It really isn't easy. <laughs> like it's, it's a hard game. Like you probably could guess from I kept uh, emphasizing the trial and error aspect, and you have to kind of learn as you go. You're that just can... referring to yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about myself. But no, the game, like, it can be quite difficult quite fast. But I feel like it never was actually frustrating because all the weird ways I end up missing a truck were more funny than anything else. Very gang beast in that regard. And there's a huge – there is, like, a huge satisfaction in finishing a 30-second level after spending, I don't know, 25 straight minutes trying. Like, it's just very – like, ah, oh, I finally did it. Yes, the, the – the everything aligned just right. I knew the layout just right. I knew exactly what move to do and what situation. It was perfect. And it, it's so gratifying. I actually wish that you could – Shared level or video of the levels as you beat them, like after the fact. You know, the switch Wait, has doesn't, doesn't support the recording? switch has the built-in video recording, but no, only a handful of games properly support right now. And unfortunately, um, Cluster Truck is not one of them at this time. And you think again, it's all about weird scenarios that play out using physics that are happening around you and your own momentum and that sort of thing. You think. They'd want you to highlight how weird things can get and be able to share it on social media, but as of now, you can't. Similarly, I kind of want to know, like, how many times have I died on this level? How many miles have I run in the game? How many jumps have I made? Like, all these sorts of stats that you would think would be in a game like this because it's all about difficulty and overcoming obstacles. Kind of not there. It's also a little too bare bones in that regard, so that was kind of a bummer. It'd be cool if Tiny Bill patched that in down yeah, the line. Yeah, like but... a nice minimum, like just like a death counter. 
Yeah, or something, and I didn't notice one. So, I, I don't know. It's just something to consider as a patch. That's what's nice about eShop games. You just patch them. But, but yeah, video wish and stat tracking wish aside, I do really like Cluster Truck. Like, it's it's a type of game perfect to play between, like, other Meteor games. Because you could just, you know, pick it up and play it five or ten minutes. But I did find that you end up usually playing more than five or ten minutes because you get to that one level, and you're just like, no, I'm going to get this. I figure out half the pattern. The physics will probably go one of four or five different ways. I can accommodate for that, and you're just going to keep trying and trying and trying, and ultimately you're going to get it. And you're going to have a hundred opportunities to do this because there are over a hundred levels in the game. There's a regular campaign. There's a Halloween-themed set. There's a holiday-themed set. And it's all 15 bucks, which seems totally fair given how much content there is and how much really how much time you're gonna get out of it because you're gonna suck at it because it, it you just are you, it's really about learning the level as you go it's about the trial and error like i was saying so just be ready to face some serious difficulty along the way but if you like anything if any of this sounds intriguing i recommend it it's really fun it's really wacky and weird it's it's really difficult <laughs> but yeah it's a fun game it's uh it's you know and and it has a great name so yeah, that's good to hear yeah and and you know it does how much um, it's fifteen. Okay. Yeah, so it's not even that bad. But but speaking of difficulty, fourteen ninety nine. Fourteen ninety nine. I just round up. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a penny. But speaking of difficulty, um, you want to talk about the Hong Kong Country Tropical Freeze, right? Because you, to be fully upfront about this, neither of us own it on Switch, but you have a hundred percent it on Wii U, and it's literally the same game minus Funky Kong. Yeah. So so how what what do you want to talk about specifically? Oh, I mean, Besides it being a good game, which I think we both yeah, agree. I mean we all know it's a good game, but I don't know. I guess the inclusion of Funky and I guess how like difficulties being being handled, I guess on the Switch or I guess in many games nowadays. Like I thought it was um like Funky mode like pretty much gives you like Donkey Kong put on steroids. He can't die to spikes. He gets like way more hearts than Donkey Kong does, while still having all the benefits of being Donkey Kong. But what I thought was really interesting was that that's the default mode. Wait, what? I thought that was an optional mode. It starts with funky. Well, yeah, you have to like make you have to re- you have to realize that oh, it's at the funky mode. I better change it to DK mode or normal mode before I start the game. Like if you just boot up the game and Wait. keep hitting A, it will start really? in funky mode. Yeah. I mean, I get they want to promote the new feature, but like that's like the game starting on easy mode. But you think there'd at least be a selection yeah, starting, starting on the first mode. part? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting and a little weird. But, and for someone not really paying attention, I mean, you're going to be stuck in funky mode. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess even if you already beat the game, like that kind of difficulty could be pretty fun. But Just kind of breeze through it or speed run it. Yeah, but the thing is also, like, funky, like, just sometimes it gets straight out breaks levels. Like, you'll be able to, like, I mean, he gets a double jump on top of a hover. So you're pretty and much... J- just so we're clear, you know, it's because you, you watched it on the internet, right? Because yeah. I was just like, we haven't played it, and now you know all these details, but you've, oh, no, you've yeah. been studying it closely as a scholar of the Kongs. Yeah, because I'm definitely not going to double dip on a game that I pretty much Especially like. Especially when it's $10 more now than it used to be. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm just going to say, like, oh, like, look at our, all the Funky's moves. And yeah, he could double jump, he could hover, pretty much like skipping over like a ton of obstacles, like pretty much almost like destroying the level design. But if you've already gone through it once, that could be kind of fun to do. But if you haven't, you're definitely going to be missing out on what I consider to be like one of the like best 2D platforming experiences you can get because of that difficulty. Like it's really difficult, but it doesn't. Ever, it never gets to the point where you want to throw the controller because it all feels intentional. It always feels like it's your fault, and you get better. You learn the timings, and it's great. And 
I don't know. I feel like that kind of difficulty is kind of missing on a lot of Nintendo games, specifically. Like, 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 like Retro, the Western-developed game, and... I don't know, I guess that's something, like, maybe Western developers just have more down pat than, like, Eastern developers. Well, it, it's funny, because I think part of it's Nintendo's in, intentionally trying to broaden this, the horizon. Like, remember the whole Super Guide thing they did for but, a I mean, while? They, I mean, when they want to do, like, a difficult game, they definitely can. Like, Super Lu... Yeah, is it Super Luigi U? Yeah, new Super um, Luigi U. Yeah, like, that game, wow, like, that was really difficult. Like, that game, they definitely designed it to be, like, yeah, this is, like, a ball to the walls, like... Yeah. Your, your man's Mario, like... Uh, Mario that'll grow hair on your chest. Yeah, like, that one was really tough and satisfying to beat. But, yeah, like, Odyssey, like, I like that game, but not enough to say I guess I love it. Like, it just... Because always... diff- there's too much of a breeze, or...? Yeah, basically, like, even, like, the quote-unquote hardest level in the game, like, I don't know, I feel like, I, like after, like, maybe two or three attempts, I beat it. Usually, the hardest level in Mario games, like, takes me way more attempts to figure out. Uh-huh. And feel a lot more sad. Like, basically, like, none of it ever really felt satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, it always felt like, oh, it's going to get tougher. It's going to get tougher. Even, like, the base, like, um, even though in hero mode, like, in, the beginning is really difficult. Definitely even more difficult than when you first started in regular mode. But kind of the game progresses as you get more, just better equipment and you upgrade yourself. The enemies only get so difficult and then it just kind of goes back to normal like you buff yourself up a lot that the difficulty extra difficulty almost becomes irrelevant like they added way more flying enemies but well when when you say you buff yourself up do you go above and beyond what's necessary when you buff up are you trying to find every little nook and cranny and then buff up that way or are you just kind of cruising through the game i'm kind of doing like i mean i'm not gonna fight ganon until i find like everything because i've already done the okay for the final boss route yeah but even so, like, I'm still just kind of, like, doing a few side quests here and there. Yeah. Um, I'm mainly jotting down things so I could go back to them later. But already, like, um, like even, like, the something that they both said about, like, oh, we have a bunch of more flying enemies. Like, enemies and floating rafts that are held up by octo balloons. Like, you could... <laughs> you could shoot Hold those. it together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> if you have arrows, you could shoot those down pretty easily and just... Pretty much skip them. You could ignore a lot of... <laughs> there's a lot of hazards that way. Right. And <laughs> after playing, like, God of War that has, I guess, that really hard difficulty... Well, I'm still playing through it because it's just so damn hard. But it's really... It's equally satisfying. I don't know. I re- I mean, Splatoon kind of straddled that line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, the story mode was just... Uh, just not easy enough for it to be satisfying to play through. But I feel like it could have pushed itself a little more. Maybe that's the compromise of being a console for everybody. But I feel like Nintendo didn't always well, have I think, that I think loss. the I mean, problem... Like, Galaxy and Galaxy 2 had, like, great level design that satisfied... That really, like, was really satisfying. Yeah, I, I think there is a mindset at Nintendo. And I don't know if I agree with it. And I even think a game, you know, I was talking about Cluster Truck and be like, oh, it's difficult. But it's not, like, the difficult you're describing. It's, like random elements of chance difficult yeah but, because, because I'm not but, talking about like um Edmund McMillan game difficult like like Super Meat Boy Binding of Isaac I, or Ed is nigh. or Ed yeah. is nigh. like those are those games are designed like they're really difficult but they're ex- pretty much expecting you to be perfect right like God of War doesn't ask you to be perfect all the time 
So what what is that difficulty? Like what what is it doing that's not like the random elements of cluster truck? That's not the you know pit the pixel perfect maneuvering of a McMillan game. Like what what's their pro? Is it basically like a souped up version of the normal? Mo- like I, is it I, more I guess, what you're expecting Nintendo to do? I guess it gives you chance. It gives you time to react and learn things on the fly. Like that kind of difficulty is like really nice. Like it's really hard because like you still have to make some things perfectly, but like you have time to react to everything. Like pretty much when you die, you know it was your fault. And when you die in the end is nigh or in Super Meat Boy, you pretty much have to die in order for you to start learning. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I can't jump from here. I can't jump from here. I can't jump from here. I have to jump from this. Oh, point so it's, right like, here. it's like the trial and error of Cluster Truck. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, Cluster Truck's just a Z-axis I mean, twisted version of one of the. You're uh, basically, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're you're basically memorizing exactly how you yeah. have to beat the game. Yeah. In God of War, um, like yeah, like there are some battles that if you really wanted to, you could exact, you could mem- you could sit there and memorize like where everyone's spawning exactly, and just run and try to figure out like the best possible way to attack everyone, which you do do sometimes, but yeah, because it's basically just another way of beating it, um. It just feels like an extra word. Like, oh, I figured out this other way of beating it. Or you could actually try to be patient and just like watch the tells of the enemies, try to dodge at appropriate times, and just like don't overcommit to certain moves. Like, you pretty much, I don't know, get rewarded for different, trying different approaches. There's some difficulty that you really only have one way of beating it. Right. And then there's the Mario, well, I guess Odyssey and Zelda, where I don't know, I guess at some point you just beat it without much consequence I mean it sounds like it sounds like essentially what you want Nintendo to do is make just literally the same game but rank rap, like crank up the difficulty yeah but I try I try to figure out just from what you're saying where how they would because they do there's no doubt in my mind they have purposely they have for a while now been intentionally trying to soften the blow of game difficulty for to make it more accessible like you know uh, Odyssey certainly does it because it's more about where where can you find it versus how many Goombas well, are going mean, to crash into you well, or whatever? I mean, I mean what they could but. do and what um what I think Super Mario 3D World did really well yeah. is that the core game, like, it was sort of difficult. It was not, it was never like, oh, man, I can't beat this level. But it was just kind of fun throughout. But after you beat the game, you pretty much unlocked, like, a whole set of worlds. Oh, yeah, 3D landed that, too. Yeah, yeah. 3D landed that. Um, Galaxies. Galaxies kind of did that. Um, Super Mario... I think which one Super Mario Brothers U did that mm-hmm. and they all have like these like extra special worlds that are there literally just to satisfy those cravings it's like alright you got the game but let's just really let, let's scratch that itch and I guess that's what was kind of missing from the other one I have a bad theory I, it's it's a good theory in that I we're think it's logical it's a bad theory now I don't like scratchers. it here's my suspicion Nintendo wants to make the games more accessible, right? So they want to be able to have someone, and they started this with the Super Guide. They started this, you know, with the, in the Wii era, where like the games have to be for everybody. But maybe we make the game as hard, and we just give an autopilot option. It's like, okay, that didn't work. So maybe we make the game more accessible, and we sell like... it. Hold on, and we sell it as like a fully comprehensive package. Mario Odyssey, you can beat it. Yes, you, and there won't be anything that you feel bad about. But hey. Six, eight months, nine months later, what if we release the, the itch scratcher, so to speak, as DLC? And the people that want to go explore a second round of Kingdoms that are, like, ridiculously difficult mm, can buy their way into it. And you don't feel like you're missing out on content that you thought you paid for up front because you're not good enough for it. 
Because instead, you're paying extra to get the stuff that you're good enough. Kind of reminds me of um, New Super Mario Brothers Two. It's where, the Mario U. Where like um, the core game, like I mean, it was fun. It was difficult sometimes. Yeah. But then later on, they released um like DLC like packets of yeah like, the, games. The, the gold rush stuff yeah yep. and and then they had like here is the hardcore one like the had like the red Bowser warning and yeah like, these are like nail biting tough and those were really tough. Well, well what to made me really them. realize this is because you were saying at the start that's when I was trying to figure out what exactly you were looking for. You were saying that new super, new Super Luigi U was like tough as nails right off the bat, and it's like well right New Super Luigi U was a DLC add on for New Super Mario. But it was its own game. I mean, Ultimately, it was because they realized it had enough content on its own. Well, yeah, but it was, it, was, I mean, it was designed as a add-on, and then they expanded it. Yeah, because, I mean, you literally get the whole game again. Like, you're playing yeah. through every single level. It's not like they just created, like, 20 more levels for Super Luigi U. They literally have you play through the whole game again, and every level is slightly redesigned. But they're also, like, a third of the length of the yep. normal level. Yeah. and, and But they're could... all... But that also kind of worked in their favor. Or they made it work in their favor because they all start with that chime. Like, you only have, like, 60 seconds left. Yeah. To be just... And I mean, I mean, conceptually, whether it's, you know, something as massive as Super Luigi U or something as small as how they did it with Super, New Super Mario Bros. 2 where it's just little DLC packs. The idea that I think Nintendo realized it's not about we make the game have an easy... It's not like we, we hold their hand in the game so they feel like they're doing well. It's more about we cater a game to people that can play at a wider breadth of skill levels. And then if they want something hardcore, we don't want to feel like we ripped them off by making some of the game inaccessible to them. We'll just offer more for an extra price because yeah. it makes them more money that way. I mean, Kimishima on this whole rant in the Q&A – not rant. Strong <laughs> word. He went, he went on a tear. No, Kimishima made a comment in the Q&A. He let him have it. He, he sure tore into them because he told them – their digital sales are up like 50% year over year on thanks to Switch and DLC and people buying digital. So if, if Nintendo's seeing that like their digital market's growing that rapidly and that strongly, I don't see why they wouldn't be like, well, hey, if everyone's downloading Mario Odyssey to begin with, we can make that more user-friendly for a broader audience, get more sales that way. And the people that really want more, they're downloading it. They know how to get this. We'll just pile on extra content at a later time for them. It's kind of like how Majora's Mask is considered significantly hard and awkward at time, just converted to the digital era of DLC. Like, yeah. you know, you, you ease them in with one thing, then you give them something else if they want it. So that maybe that's the solution to what your problem here is? Because it's a legitimate thing. I mean, it sounds like God of War from the start was like, we're going to give you this really difficult thing, but it's the exact same game, while what your Sky Nintendo is doing often is we give you a game, but you want more after in the post-game. So maybe the post game is just a separate thing now, and we just have to wait for it to come out. Yeah, I mean, granted, there's still kind of, I guess, the lack of initial satisfaction for you when you first beat the game, right? But if you know that there is a part two or there is a a post game, I imagine that would help ease the sting yeah, a little. That definitely would. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, if Nintendo's not doing that, perhaps they should listen to this conversation and do it because it's actually kind of an interesting approach that sort of like melts together all the different strategies they've done over the years. So. We'll see. Yeah. But, but yeah, but Donkey Kong's a pretty fun game. You should check it out, guys. No, but seriously. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would say that game is worth it, even with the $10. Yeah, like, premium. honestly, if I didn't already own it exactly as it is, minus Funky Kong. I mean, quite frankly, the reversible cover is almost making me pay 60 bucks. Like, to have Funky Kong's face just on my shelf at all times is pretty tempting. But, yeah, no. I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, but, yeah, I guess that, that pretty much does it for this episode, right? Like, it's, it, it was a bit of a quieter news week. News period, which is kind of nice. Let's 
have a little more room to breathe and talk about things like difficulty. Uh, but we'll be back with even more stuff uh, on Memorial Day weekend, May 27th, in our next episode. We'll, of course, have our usual roundup of news, impressions of some games. I don't know, maybe Runner 3 at that point. Should be out by then. So we'll have games to talk about. We'll be sharing impressions of that. So make sure you don't miss it. Um, you can subscribe to us on a whole host of podcasting networks. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on TuneIn. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podcast Act. The list goes on and on. Find us wherever you listen. Alternatively, follow us on Twitter, at RamNintendo. I'm not making any promises, but there may be a contest coming there soon. Maybe not like next episode soon, but you probably want to follow us soon so you don't miss the thing where you can win the thing by following us. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to do some teasing. Yeah, so so keep an eye out for that. You can also follow us. Teasing, but will he please? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't just casually mention contests that don't happen. (laughs) Like, what is that? (laughs) Hey, guys, do you want to win something? Sucks, you can't. But, uh, no, uh, we will do a contest. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm not thinking you're not going to do the contest, but will it be a satisfying prize? Everything free is satisfying. That sounded weird. Uh, I just, let's uh, just leave it at that. We'll see you. No, but, um, you can also follow us individually on Twitter where we aren't giving things away. I'm JSR7. He's, um, Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore O. And yeah, that just about does it. So do you have any other weird pearls of wisdom of how, like, or not, any other riddles you wish to speak in as we wrap up here? No. Great. See you in two weeks.